Good evening. Let's call toward the council meeting of February 7th, 2023. Before we get started, I'd like to remind participants of some procedural items for this meeting. During the meeting, remote participants will remain muted when not speaking. If a remote participant has a question or a comment, please use the raised hand feature request to speak. Speakers will be called upon to speak one at a time. A random order voice vote will be administered by the city clerk for each vote. This city council meeting is being conducted utilizing teleconferencing and electronic means as allowed by government code subdivision 54953E and resolution number 1089-21 reaffirmed by Sunnyvale City Council on January 10th, 2023. Council members have the option of participating remotely or in person. Members of the public may, per, may participate may participate in person, online, or by telephone to provide public comment. In-person speakers, please submit a speaker card to the city clerk, or if remote, please use the raised hand feature request to speak, star nine in your telephone. Location and teleconference meeting details are available on the council agenda. Captions are available to viewers accessing this meeting via Zoom. Captions can be displayed or hidden using the live transcript button. Comments on matters not on the agenda must be submitted prior to the time I call the item for oral communications. Comments on agenda items must be submitted prior to the time I close the public hearing on that agenda item. Speakers are requested to keep their comments to no more than three minutes and time limits will be strictly enforced. Guidelines are posted on the city's website and on the council meeting agenda. First up is our salute to the flag. Please join me in the salute to the flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Next is roll call. City Clerk, may we please have roll call? Mayor Klein. Present. Vice Mayor Dean. Present. Council Member Melton. Present. Council Member Cisneros. Present. Councilmember Mellinger? Present. Councilmember Srinivasan? Present. Councilmember Sell? Present. Seven present with Vice Mayor Dean and Councilmember Srinivasan participating via teleconference. Thank you very much. Next is a special order of the day for African American History Month. February is nationally recognized as African American History Month. This year marks the 47th annual uh, anniversary of the President Ford's official declaration for the month of February. When first recognizing this month during the United States Bicentennial, President Ford reached out to the nation, encouraging us to seize the opportunity to honor the two often neglected accomplishments of black Americans in every area of endeavor throughout the history. Since then, the month has expanded beyond educational institutions and is recognized in the arts and business sectors. And each year, the Association for the Study of African American Life and History designates a theme. The theme for 2023 is Black Resistance. The city of Sunnyvale invites residents to pick something from, their, from the theme book list and display at the library. The Sunnyvale Library will also be hosting two uh, related children and teen events this month. First is Movie and Crafts with Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse on Wednesday, t February 22nd from 4 to 6 p.m. Recommended for grades one through five, where besides the movie, participants will be uh, completing an activity on 
about uh, real-life heroes. And second is Village Rhythms African Drumming on Thursday, February 23rd from 4 to 5 p.m. Recommended recommended for grades one and up where Onye Onye Machi, uh, a world-renowned performer, will lead African drumming, dancing, songs, and stories. Please visit the city's website uh, and webpage for all the details. Additionally, I have invited Shaka Campbell, our Santa Clara County Poet Laureate, to join us tonight for a special presentation. Welcome, Shaka. Thank you. Thank you. I know you have a personal recitation for this evening, and I'll pass it to you. Wonderful. So you guys can hear me okay? If you could speak up just a little bit. Okay, great. Um, so I'm going to share a poem. I'm going to share a piece with uh, with you in, in um, light of the, the month. Um, and it is called Ally in Ten Octaves. One. It's not that I'm looking down, parched falcon, regaling the ascension. It's just that I, I, I got here a bit different. Like I know you see these wings as if the wind would curl itself around them without effort, without willing into the storm, but see, flight is deliberate. It's earned. So this perch, albeit high, is not success. It's escape. Two, if you look on the mountain close enough to care, you'll see foot and hand holes cut into the granite. Your feet are probably already planted in them now. The grip hole steadying your climb is a groove the mountain inherited from somebody's great great-great-grandmother who bore her fingers into the rock face and rub the scent from the small of her back into the stone so her children could chase their legacies. Uh, what did you think, that nature just made them special for when you were ready to climb? Three, it's always easier to find the sacrifice once the edges have been slaughtered. Four, ain't nobody born a Sherpa. Five, thank you. Thank you, nonetheless. Six, within the twist of the mountain playing about the mouth of plateaus, the echo you've been hearing when you say their names is the recipe of dead souls calling back to find theirs on your tongue. See, that is what's known as traditional call and response. Seven. Lemon is a mountain that reaches for the Indian Ocean. It's where we held refuge, where we held refuge when the currency of our souls are returned to us and suffering is stitched into a new version of freedom. This is where our wingspan will begin to feather and we will meet you at the base of this mountain. You will prepare and collect ideas, and we will be readied for the second leg of our climb, carrying our blackness in our pulse, subterranean baked into our skulls, cracked teeth, and open wounded. We will be a sight for your new eyes. You will taste the dread. It will seem too hard to believe 
as you've not yet seen the mountain's iceberg, its body sitting below waist beneath sea level. We will be coming from there, from down there, below the thunder. Eight, when you turn your palms to the sky and the weight of the pole sinks into your torso, do not ask whether we are okay. We are not. Nine, regardless of intent, your pores secrete a film that hardens and stalagmites the surface. The curse is that anyone below your gaze will suffer from what's already built into your anatomy. 10, we will hum the journey's chorus to you on the way up. But you, you my friend, must write in the words yourself. Thank you. Thank you very much, Shaka. You know. And and I just want to say, you know, I've al I'm always inspired by your words, and and I appreciate, you know, your your efforts as a poet laureate to to really make a difference, and you know, uh, give your meaning, give your words, give your give your background and your history to to everyone in our county. So so thank you for all that you do. Thank you. I I appreciate the space and uh, the uh, the pathway you allow uh, for this to happen. So. Um, again, gratitude. Thank you for being here. And, and on behalf of the city, sunny, city of Sunnyvale, in appreciation for African American, for our African American community, I proudly proclaim February as African American History Month in the city of Sunnyvale. And thank you very much for being here. Thank you. Have a good evening. You too. Thank you. <clears throat> uh, next is oral communications. So members of the public now have an opportunity to address City Council on topics not listed on tonight's agenda. Uh, this section is normally limited to 15 minutes but may be extended or continued after the general business section of the agenda if necessary. Individuals are limited to one appearance with a maximum up to three minutes per speaker. A reminder of the public, please submit a speaker card uh, to the City Clerk if you're in person or raise your digital hand or dial star 9 on your telephone now if you wish to speak. Um, I will call on members of the public participating in person first, and then the city clerk will ask remote participants to unmute their microphone when it's your turn to address city council. Uh, speakers will have three minutes to speak, and for members in person, uh, we have a countdown timer with lights, green meaning go, yellow meaning 30 seconds remaining, and red meaning stop. Uh, before we get to the public, council member Srina Vossen has two announcements. <clears throat> Thank you, Mayor. I have two announcements. The first one is boards and commission. Uh, one second. <laughs> My boards and commission recruitment is underway for the following openings. The bicycle and pedestrian advisory commission, boards and board of library trustees, heritage preservation commission, and Sustainability Commission. Applications are due uh, by 4 p.m. on Thursday, February 16th. In order to be scheduled for an interview with the Council on Tuesday, February 28th. General require eligibility requirements include Sunnyvale Residency. For more information, visit sunnyvale.ca.gov 
and search for votes and commission or call the office of the city clerk at 408-730-7483. Applications to serve on a city uh, on a city of Sunnyvale boards and board and commission are accepted on a continuous basis. Applications received after the deadline will be considered for future opening. That's the first announcement. The, the next announcement is Sunnyvale second 2022-23 drive electric event is here. Uh, upgrading to an electric vehicle can help the climate and your wallet. Sunnyvale's drive electric program provides opportunities for the community members to explore EVs. This webinar titled Special EV Event, The Ultimate Guide to Purchasing an EV in 2023 will take place on Thursday, February 9th from 7 to 8 p.m. To register, visit bit.ly bit.ly slash February 9th Sunnyvale with F and S as separate case. This information-packed free workshop previews 2023's most anticipated EV models. You will receive insider trips, tips to maximize your EV experience. Get the latest in information on new clean vehicle tax credit credit learn which evs have the longest range fastest charging and most seating plus visit a breakout room for an in-depth question and answers with our knowledgeable ev ambassadors to learn more about future webinars and in-person ev ride and drive events visit sunnyvale.ca.gov uh, and search for drive electric or email green at sunnyvale.ca.gov. That's the end of the announce, uh, public announcement, Mayor. Thank you, Council Member. Thank you. Uh, now we have sp several speaker cards in person. Uh, first up is Margaret Lawson. Good. Let's make sure Good evening, Mayor and Council Members. <clears throat> In the 1970s, I brought to the attention of the City of Sunnyvale that Fremont Avenue had no landscaping and was ugly. In fact, the San Jose Mercury News wrote an article about my letter to the city. Here's the picture of me out on Fremont Avenue, and what I had to say at that time applies to this time. Now the city, the streets are a victim of neglect and is again ugly. The west entrance to Sunnyvale is an embarrassment. <clears throat> Coming out of Los Altos, one thinks that one has driven, on, driven onto an airport runway. The road widens into six lanes, <clears throat> which is not necessary. Let me see if I can do this. Can I do it? There it is. There's six lanes. Sorry, go back six lanes which is not necessary <clears throat> in fact it often narrows to four lanes 
which is including by um, Fremont Avenue. And you can see here where we narrow to four lanes and further down, another place where it narrows to four lanes. In addition, the landscaping, such as it is, is a victim of neglect. <clears throat> there are about 15 stumps of former trees that died and have not been replaced. There's no landscaping along the outside lanes. And look at the walls along Fremont. Three walls there. It kind of looks like a third world country. <clears throat> And there's more unattractive landscaping. There's no landscaping done by the city on the outside lanes. Here's what should happen. The entire street should be narrowed from four lanes from the outside in with separate la uh, landscape separating pedestrians and bicycles. And this is an example of this in San Antonio Road in Los Altos. And here you can see along the side, over on the right, the sidewalk. Um, and an area that could be for bicycles. Plant substantial landscaping along the walls, make the street lush. The Sustainability Commission has put forward a study issue which is about street tree repopulation. Part of the Sunnyvale Climate Action Plan is rebuilding our urban tree canopy. Now, I'm an old lady. I'm a lot older than I look. <laughs> but... I have on actuary tables five years to live. I sure would like to see something done to this street that makes it a lush, beautiful boulevard before I pass on. Thank you. Thank you very much. Still alive. Um, next up is Liam Croc. What do I do with this? Leave it here. Followed by Eric Croc. That works. The right-of-way is good for outdoor activities like soccer and running. It is also good for hide-and-seek. Exploring the right-of-way makes me happy because I can find new things like mushrooms and old wood. Expl I often want to go to the right-of-way because I want to use a frisbee or other outdoor things. I also like playing laser tag. I throw away plastic and glass bottles to clean up the right away. I pick up old glass to make it cleaner. I would feel sad and angry if the right away was turned into a dog park because then dogs would be barking and I couldn't play there anymore. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for speaking on the, the Ramona study issue. Thank you. And next we have Eric Kroc. Yes. Um, so Back to follow. Oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> so um, there is a proposal that has been made to the Parks and Recreation Commission to turn the Pacific Gas and Electric right-of-way between Ramona Avenue and Lewis Avenue into a dog park. Now, I love dogs. I grew up with dogs. I hope to have a dog one day. Um, but the people who, the small number of people who are promoting this idea are saying that the right-of-way is unutilized land. Nothing could be further from the truth. 
having lived there next to it for 25 years, I can uh, tell you that generations of children have grown up playing in the right-of-way and on the city easements of the right-of-way. It is a wonderful natural environment that is complementary to the manicured parks that we're so lucky to have in the city of Sunnyvale. Studies have shown that access to natural spaces is healthy for the mental health of adolescents and that if you have good access to natural spaces as a child, you have a lower rate of mental health conditions as an adult. So it's important that we preserve the access of our children to unmanicured natural spaces in our urban environments. And we have very few of those left. We have a few right-of-ways left in the Cherry Chase neighborhood, a few elsewhere. In many cases, the right-of-ways have been subdivided by the neighbors and are no longer accessible to other members of the public. So it's vital that we preserve the right-of-ways that have not already been closed off and subdivided for private use. This right-of-way between Lois Avenue and Ramona Avenue is the largest remaining right-of-way I know of in the Cherry Chase neighborhood. Um, it's used for games of tag, laser tag, um, and other activities that are healthy. We're facing an epidemic of obesity and diabetes among our young children. How do we get them away from these screens? We get them outside and into natural spaces. And preserving those few remaining natural spaces we have is a critical part of that. If the Parks and Recreation Commission wants to create yet another dog park somewhere, let's put it somewhere in a manicured park and preserve our natural open spaces that are complementary to the existing manicured parks. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, next up is Angela Hickson, followed by Charlene Liu. Good evening, members of the council. Thank you for hearing us tonight. I am here on behalf of Sunnyvale Equity and Education. We came here last week to talk to you about a study on busing from the north to uh, Fremont High School. And some numbers came out today that I'd like to share with you with regards to Fremont and Homestead versus the other schools in the Fremont Union High School District. The highest number of socioeconomically disadvantaged children is Fremont followed by Homestead. The highest number of English language learners is Fremont. The highest number of homeless kids, Fremont, then Homestead. The highest number of Hispanic and black kids, Fremont, Homestead. The highest dropout rate, Fremont, Homestead. The highest chronic absenteeism, Fremont, Homestead. And this one is critical because Fremont's absentee rate or chronic absenteeism rate is more than twice that of any other school in the district. Now, let's talk about academic performance. Lowest percentage of kids meeting exceeding state standards in every subject, Fremont followed by Homestead. I don't say this to come down on Fremont or Homestead. My son goes to Fremont. He's gotten an excellent education there. I would recommend it to absolutely anyone. The teachers have been fantastic. My point in this is that the Fremont Union High School District has put the burden of long commutes on the schools with the kids who are most disadvantaged. And I understand 
that busing issues did not cause all these problems. Fixing the busing issues will not solve all of these problems. These are complicated issues. But our hope, in addition to getting a high school up north, which is decades in the making, is that by encouraging you guys to study this issue and to work with us on this issue, you can help us send a strong and clear message to the Fremont Union High School District that our children are important, that we will help them solve this problem, but that the idea that this can continue to be ignored as it has been for 40 years is no longer tolerable. So I hope you will seriously consider the issue. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is Charlene Liu, followed by Deborah Golding. Hello, Council. Thank you. My name is Charlene Liu, and I am representing Bike Sunnyvale. I would like to speak on Bike Sunnyvale's priorities for the 2023 study issue proposals, which you will be ranking next week. Since I last spoke about the prioritization two weeks ago, Bike Sunnyvale's prioritization has changed, so I wanted to alert you to that. And that's because Council has presented a few new study issues for us to consider. So now, our two most highly ranked study issues are, number one is the Hollenbeck bike lanes, which is the DPW 2101, and that, that was the case two weeks ago as well. But the new priority now for us, the second one, is active transportation metrics and progress, which is the new study issue proposal by Council Member Sell. So I already told you about why it's important for Hollenbeck bike lanes to exist. Now I would like to speak on why the metrics are important. Measuring progress in any endeavor carried out by the city is necessary to efficiently achieve its goals. Some well-defined quantifiable metrics will allow the city to make informed decisions on what future actions to take. And implementing bike and ped infrastructure is very expensive. It's going to cost over $100 million just to implement the ATP and the Vision Zero plan. So if we don't implement, if we implement blindly without metrics, we're going to be wasting money. It's important for the city to seek community input when designing metrics. We highly recommend that the city convene a metrics task force comprised of community members, city staff, and council members. Determining the best metrics to use can be tricky and needs careful thought. Using an inappropriate metric could take us in the wrong direction. An example of an inappropriate metric is the KSI by itself. Ironically, we could reduce KSI to zero if we discourage bikers and walkers, but that isn't at all what we want to do. So instead, an appropriate metric would be a normalized KSI where we divide the number of KSIs by the total number of bikers and walkers. That would, be, that would help us reach our goal. Another example of a good metric is the weighted sum of different classes of bike lanes with safer classes being weighted more and more dangerous bike lanes be classes being weighted less. And that way, when you weight it together and sum it, it'll give you a good number to go by. A second undertaking proposed in the study issue by Council Member Sell is the reporting of progress. Again, community input is important here because it's for the community that we're designing the website to report the progress. And the same metrics task force can be used to design this website. We need a study issue on metrics because metrics are really important at achieving city goals, require careful thought, and need community input. We would not get re good results without community input. Thank you. Thank you very much. 
Uh, next up is Deborah Goldeen, followed by Eileen Lay. You ready? Yes. Okay. Go right ahead. Um, my granddaughter lives in the uh, apartment condominium, whatever amalgam, uh, south of Mary, um, off of California Avenue. And there is a teeny tiny park there, Cannery Park, that is, um, I mean, there must be hundreds of little kids who live in this very dense little area. It's an, a very heavily impacted park. And up until very recently, there was, there was no way to get across the street, no official crossing. It was like, okay, when are we going to see a smashed kid on the road? Anytime soon? I don't know. You know, it was really bad. The city put in a, a zebra crossing at that spot, uh, which was a small improvement. But watching it go in, I was really astounded because uh, zebra crossings actually don't help all that much. And it's like, here was an opportunity. I mean, this is an area of extreme need. These are little kids, very heavily used area. It's really just uh, the, the, the traffic planning there in terms of a pedestrian or bicycle um, perspective is backwards and um, or decades behind and it's like they had an opportunity to do it right and they missed it and I'm just appalled so I am now becoming very active in trying to promote uh, bicycle and pedestrian safety in the city of Sunnyvale because I have a vested interest in it and um, it's my understanding that the your study issue Proposals have to prioritize the active transportation metrics for that um, deficiency uh, to be addressed. I mean, I saw, I saw the design of that intersection, and I went, somebody in their public works is just playing chair ball. And that was my that was my take on it. I, I can't believe it was so um, um, old school. It's the politest way I can put it. Thank you. Thank you. And my last speaker card is Eileen Lay. If anyone else wishes to speak, please fill out a card and turn it into the city clerk. Hi, I'm Eileen Lay. I am a Sunnyvale School Board trustee. I am speaking on my sorry. I am speaking on my own behalf. I have two issues I wanted to speak with the council with today. The first, both of them are related to schools. The first is that I wanted to second Angela Hickson's comments about the importance of the North Sunnyvale transportation problem and encourage the city to continue working with the Fremont, Uni Fremont Union High School District to provide safe and effective transportation for the children from North Sunnyvale. I have a few quotes that were provided to Sunnyvale for Equity in Education um, via our survey. One of them, um, one survey respondent said, this is our third FHS student. We have had a student at FHS from fall 2013 to present. The VTA bus is unreliable. Uh, form of transportation to school. If the bus is full, it will drive right by our student at the bus stop. At other times, there's been a shortage of bus drivers and there's been no bus service. Our children bike most days, but rainy days are an extra challenge. We somehow get them to school. Taking the bus to school is our last resort. Um, I live in Morse Park, which is the farthest north in Sunnyvale right now that you can get before everything turns into Google. And it takes the children in my neighborhood sometimes up to an hour to get to school um, and it's even worse getting back, especially in the evening, and especially for female presenting students who are sometimes small and um, vulnerable looking. It's, I am not anti-bus. I love the bus. I like the train a little bit more. I love the bus. But it's a big ask for these students. Um, secondly, I'd like to speak about the Moffat Park development and encourage the city council to continue looking um, into 
the school site for my district, for the K through eight school that we are going to need with a projected incoming student population of 1200 students, the existing schools of Lakewood and Columbia are not going to be able to handle that influx. Um, on page 71 of the Moffat Park specific plan, there is a four acre site devoted to this new school construction. And I want to encourage the city council to keep that in mind and that we want to have schools nearby for our kids. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was my last speaker card. Uh, city Clerk, do we have any remote speakers who wish to speak? Yes, Mr. Mayor. First up, we have Stephen Mayer, followed by Jonathan Blum. Stephen, you've been unmuted and have three minutes to address City Council. Hello, good evening, Mayor and Council. Uh, thanks for your attention tonight. I uh, really enjoyed all the prior speakers, particularly the comments about uh, Fremont High School transportation needs, and also Charlene on all the uh, important issues regarding uh, bicycle and pedestrian safety. Uh, but tonight I want to talk about um, something different that many folks don't know about, which is that there is a very important lawsuit that's taking place in Sunnyvale. Uh, the lawsuit is was filed by a one Jane Doe, uh, Jane Doe was a rising leader in the DPS force. Uh, she was rising and doing well. Unfortunately, she found a romantic relationship with another policeman, Joel Lockwood. And then uh, she wanted to break up a relationship to save her marriage. And uh, Joel wouldn't let her do that. Joel proceeded with uh, stalking, uh, criminal stalking in my mind. Uh, so Jane Doe was so scared and fearful that she had to move out of state. Uh, Sunnyvale was so concerned that they took out a gun violence restraining order on Officer Lockwood. Uh, so reading all this salacious stuff in a lawsuit, it's uh, quite disturbing to me. Um, and then most recently, uh, there was a court decision on January 27th of this year. Uh, the slap lawsuit was dismissed. It was frivolous. It was a nuisance complaint. And all these ongoing litigations... What they're doing is they're further traumatizing Jane Doe, who is a victim. So, you know, what, I have so many questions here, and there's so little information coming from you. Uh, this is totally out of character with Sunnyvale. Um, it's just sitting in the darkness. It's all opaque. And um, you're, you're traumatizing the victim more by continuing your lawsuit. So I would really ask that you bring more light to this. Uh, talk about it, review it, share whatever details that are available. This is not consistent with the culture of Sunnyvale. Uh, I, I can't believe the chief is on, in line with this. This seems like something that's locked in because a union contract or something. I don't understand. All I can do is like read the lawsuit and imagine the terrible situation that the victim is in. So um, I don't know. I have questions. I yield the rest of my time. Thank you. Next up, we have Jonathan Blum. Jonathan, you've been unmuted and have three minutes to address City Council. Uh, I'm a resident of Sunnydale, and I would like to briefly address. Um, I would like to briefly address two of the study issues that you'll be soon deciding on. Uh, first is the proposal for metrics for the active transportation plan. I'm a physician, and metrics are a proven, powerful tool for measuring and improving patient care. 
but designing metrics is surprisingly complicated. I have many stories of seemingly straightforward metrics that led to the opposite outcome from what was intended and expected. So the process of designing a cost-effective metric that accurately reflects the desired outcome is a lot of work. That is why I support a study to ensure what we get, that we get what we want out of our metrics. Second is the Hollenbeck bike lanes. I and others have already presented a rationale for this, which I won't repeat, but I forgot one additional important issue. There are going to be two village centers on Fremont at Mary and at Sunnyvale, Saratoga. The planned developments will bring in lots of homes and jobs. Despite the intent to make the developments friendly to active transportation, this is going to make the tra traffic situation on the surrounding roads more challenging, and we'll need the bike lanes on Hollenbeck, which is in between those two projects. Note that those bike lanes will not reduce the number of traffic lanes. We sometimes look at resources for pedestrians, cyclists, transit, and drivers as a zero-sum game. Give money to one, another loses out. But I think it should be considered in a more holistic manner. Every potential driver from those village centers or wherever who decides to take a bike or a bus means one less car on the road jamming up traffic and releasing fumes. So it is a win not only for the cyclists, but also for the drivers when sufficient bike infrastructure gets people onto bikes. E-bikes have been a game changer for many bicycle commuters, but they have to have somewhere safe to ride them. At this time, the infrastructure we have is okay for people like me who will ride even in crummy conditions. But we are not yet close to a tipping point at which people who are not cycling fanatics will feel comfortable going out on a bike instead of a car because they will no longer fear for their lives in doing so. If we want to keep the middle of Sunnyvale from looking like the middle of Manhattan at rush hour, we're going to move, need to move toward that tipping point and soon, which is why I support the metric and Hollenbeck studies. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Mayor, that was the final remote participate, indicating a desire to speak. Okay, thank you. We'll close oral communications and move on to our consent calendar. I'll open the public comment on consent calendar items. Members of the public wishing to address council, please submit a speaker card to the city clerk. Use the raised hand feature now or dial star nine on your telephone to indicate that you wish to speak. Uh, I will call on members of the public participating in person per first. And then the city clerk will ask remote participants to unmute their microphone when it's their turn to address city council. Speakers will have three minutes to speak. I have no speaker cards on a consent calendar item. City clerk, do we have any remote speakers for consent calendar items? No, Mr. Mayor. Okay. Uh, is there a motion from my colleagues? Uh, council Member Melton? Yes, thank you, Mayor. I move the consent agenda. Thank you. Council Member Cisneros? I second. Thank you. City Clerk, can you please conduct a roll call vote? Mayor Clay? Yes. Council Member Cisneros? Yes. Council Member Mellinger? Yes. Council Member Melton? Yes. Vice Mayor Dean? Yes. Council Member Srinivasan? Yes. Council Member Sell? Yes. The motion passes 7 0. Thank you. We will now adjourn to a regular meeting of the Sunnyvale Financing Authority. Uh, good evening. Let's call to order the Sunnyvale Financing Authority meeting of February 7th, 2023. Before we get started, I'd like to remind, remind participants of some procedural items for this meeting. Uh, during the meeting, 
Part remote participants will remain muted when not speaking. If remote participants have a question or a comment, please use the raised hand feature to request to speak. Uh, speakers will be called upon to speak one at a time. A random order of voice vote will be administered by the city clerk for each vote. The Sunnyvale Financing Authority meeting is being conducted utilizing teleconferencing electronic means as allowed by Government Code Subdivision 54953E and Resolution Number 10, 10 sorry, Resolution, resolution Number 1105-22FA, reaffirmed by the Financing Authority Board on January 10th, 2023. Board members have the option of participating remotely or in person. Members of the public may participate in person, online, or by telephone to provide public comment. Please submit a speaker card to the city clerk in person or use the raised hand feature request to speak, star nine on your telephone. Uh, location and teleconference meeting details are available on the meeting agenda. Captions are available to viewers accessing this meeting via Zoom. Captions can be displayed or hidden using the live transcript button. Comments on matters not on the agenda must be submitted prior to the time I call the item for oral communications. Comments on agenda items must be submitted prior to the time I close the public hearing on that agenda item. Speakers are requested to keep their comments to no more than three minutes and time limits will be strictly enforced. Guidelines are posted on the city's website and on the meeting agenda. First up is roll call. City Clerk, may we please have roll call. Authority Chair Klein. Present. Authority Vice Chair Dean. Present. Authority Member Melton. Present. Authority Member Cisneros. Present. Authority Member Mellinger. Present. Authority Member Srinivasan. Present. Authority Member Sell. Present. Seven present with Authority Vice Chair Dean and Authority Member Srinivasan participating via teleconference. Thank you. Next is oral communications. Members of the public will now have an opportunity to address the Financing Authority Board on topics not listed on tonight's agenda. This section is limited to 15 minutes and may be extended after our general business. Uh, individuals are limited to one appearance of both a maximum up to three minutes per speaker. A reminder to the public, please submit a speaker card to the city clerk in person. Raise your digital hand or dial star nine on your telephone if you wish to address the Financing Authority Board. I will call on members of the public participating in person first, and then the city clerk will ask remote participants to unmute their microphone when it's your turn to address the board. Speakers will have three minutes to speak. I have no speaker cards uh, in from people in the room. Uh, city clerk, do we have any remote participants wishing to speak under oral communications? No authority, Chair. Okay, I will close oral communications. Next is our consent calendar. I will open the public comment on consent calendar items. Members of the public wishing to address the Financing Authority Board, please submit a speaker card to the city clerk. Use your raised hand feature now or dial star nine on your telephone to indicate that you wish to speak. I will call on members of the public participating in person first. Then the city clerk will ask remote participants to unmute their microphone when it's their turn to address the board. Speakers will have three minutes to speak. I again have no speaker cards. Are there any remote participants who wish to speak? No authority, Chair. Okay. Um, I will now ask for a motion from my colleagues. Um, authority Member Melton. Thank you. I move the consent agenda. Thank you. Authority Vice Chair Dean. I second. City Clerk, can you please conduct a roll call vote? Yes. Authority Member Melton. Yes. Authority Vice Chair Dean. Yes. Authority Member Mellinger. Yes. Authority Member Sell. Yes. Authority Member Srinivasan. Yes. Authority Chair Klein. Yes. Authority Member Cisneros. Yes. The motion passes 7-0. Thank you. 
And so the Sunnyvale Financing Authority meeting is adjourned at 7.44 p.m. Uh, let's reconvene to the City Council meeting and move to our general business. Our first item is item 23-0144, consider permanent closure of the 100 block of South Murphy Avenue study issue, adopt a resolution of intent to establish a pedestrian mall, adopt a resolution directing the city manager to temporarily close the 100 block of South Murphy Avenue until December 31st, 2023, through the issuance of a special event permit, and update council policy 1.1.10, use of the public sidewalk and street of the 100 block of South Murphy Avenue. Is there a staff report? There is. Good evening, uh, Mayor and Council Members. I'm Connie Versellis, Deputy City Manager, and I'm here tonight to present the findings of the study issue to permanently close the 100 block of South Murphy Avenue to cars. Uh, next slide, please. This study issue was uh, proposed by staff and ranked number one by City Council at its uh, 2022 study issues workshop. The scope of the study issue um, included three major um, action items. The first action item was the need for extensive community um, outreach to determine the support for closing the street um, to cars. Uh, the second action was to uh, ensure that staff evaluated and considered any potential impacts such as the loss of on-street parking um, that would prevent front door pickups of goods and services and also look at how cars could circulate around the downtown area if the street was closed to cars. Um, and then, of course, the third action was to review any operational cost um, currently incurred by the city for cleanup of the street to maintain it to certain standards, as well as any one-time cost associated with making the street accessible to all downtown visitors. Next slide. We began our um, outreach with a uh, community-wide survey, um, and about we had really good success. About 2,700 people took um, the survey on um, our open city hall. And um, you know there was overwhelming support for closing the street to cars. Um, over 90% of the respondents um, said yes, the street should be permanently closed to cars. Um, if you remember the scope of the project, we wanted to figure out how people got around the downtown and where they parked. So we asked those questions as well in our survey. We asked them where they park when they visit downtown. And um, based on the responses, most people say that they usually park in the surface lots or in the uh, parking garages. Um, the, we also asked, you know, if the street was to be closed, would you be, in, um, would you, would you visit the downtown area more often or less often? Um, and the response was about equally split. Um, about 52, a little bit over 50% of the respondents says that they would visit, they they would visit the area more, and about almost 45% said they would visit about the same. Um, we also wanted to get feedback regarding the cost associated with maintaining the street. Um, and we asked, um, we asked the, the community if businesses using the public street should pay an extra fee for the use of the street. And the response was, you know, pretty much no, that, the, that the, there was support for not um, charging the businesses extra for the maintenance fees. Um, it's about 70%. It's a little slow or a little small. Um, and then as part of the survey, we also asked um, open-ended um, questions, you know, and we asked the community to share what concerns they had uh, regarding uh, banning cars from Murphy Avenue. And a large percentage of them said they had no concerns. 
Um, some people were worried about the short-term um, parking um, and accessible parking and ADA parking. And then um, about 10% worried. Um, we have equity on the chart, but really it's about fairness. It was about fairness of the businesses on Murphy Avenue not paying um, you know, additional fees to essentially get a free patio um, for their use. Next slide, please. Um, in addition to serving the community, we really wanted to focus on the businesses, you know, the downtown businesses. So we surveyed the downtown businesses and asked similar questions. Um, our response rate was about 40 businesses took the survey at the time. And the results really mirrored um, the, response that we, the, the responses that we received from the community. Um, there was strong re uh, support. Almost 90% um, of the businesses supported closing um, Murphy Avenue to cars. And almost 10% um, of the businesses said, well, close it, but maybe you know, seasonally. Um, and about 5% said keep it open. Um, we also asked the businesses open-ended questions because we also wanted to know if they had any concerns that we didn't specifically ask in the survey. Um, and uh, most of the responders says that they did not have any concerns with the street closure. 10%, um, about close to 10% said that they had uh, concerns about the loss of short-term parking. Next slide. Um, so as we were doing the findings, I went back to the businesses in the downtown association. And most recently, I went back and shared the final findings from um, our study issue. And I shared the, um, the findings with businesses located on Murphy Avenue in particular. I want to make sure that they understood our findings as well as members of the downtown association. Um, overall, the feedback from the downtown businesses and the downtown association is that they support the, the closure, but their, their big concern is about the um, extra expense uh, about paying for the ongoing maintenance um, as well as the one-time cost for accessibility. Um, the general feedback from businesses is that some businesses are doing a little bit better, you know, some are doing better than others, um, and those ones that are rebounding a little bit faster after the pandemic may be able to afford a higher um, permit fee to maintain the street. But a lot of them said that they have not fully recovered, and so that the extra, paying the extra uh, fee for the maintenance would be a huge burden on their operations. And that they asked that the city, you know, continue uh, paying the maintenance cost of the street for at least, you know, for the next several years. Um, and they also asked that the city prioritize um, working with the businesses on the construction and to pay for the um, needed accessibility improvements. Um, you know, the, the, the feedback that the businesses got in regards to the fees, it was, a, um, it was based on a, a rough back of the envelope um, calculation of uh, staff equally um, Calculating, uh, calculating those fees that, that we proposed to the businesses by equally dividing the um, estimated permit, the maintenance, the accessibility improvement um, cost among about the 20 businesses that are currently um, providing outdoor dining on Murphy Avenue. Um, you know, and businesses continue to um, state that they support um, the street closure, but also to work with city staff and um, ensuring that the, the street might have a better look and feel to the street by um, the city requiring consistency in furniture, uh, you know, in, in the umbrellas, and um, supported the staff up um, updating the sidewalk and street policy. Next slide. Oh, 
apologies. Wait. No, it's her. I have to put my glasses on. <laughs> Make sure I'm looking at the right slide. Um, so th the study findings, you know, after um, completing the scope of the study issue, as I keep saying, you know, we found that there's strong support from the community and for the businesses to close the street to cars. Um, but we also did find that accessibility improvements do need to be made if we if the city is, is to um, close the street. And I'm going to go into more detail into what those requirements are in my, in my next slide. Um, you know, as, as, as well as we also need to finalize a maintenance plan, permanent maintenance plan. Um, but we really, from staff's perspective, we think that that plan needs to be done after whatever option we choose and whatever improvements are made to the street. Um, so we want to come back to council on how to handle those ongoing maintenance costs. And also, based on the feedback from the businesses, we want to um, ensure that our policy is updated regarding the use um, of the furniture to address the look and feel of the street. Next slide. Um, so as I mentioned, really the, the biggest improvements that we need to make is um, regarding accessibility for the street. Um, we hired an accessibility consultant um, to evaluate the existing conditions on Murphy Avenue and to also recommend any improvements that might be needed um, so that the street dining program could conform to applicable state and federal regulations regarding accessibility. And um, as you can see on the, on the slide, um, the image on the right-hand side um, shows the area of the street that's flush to the street. And this area, you know, there's no curb separating the street from the sidewalk. So the, this part of Murphy Avenue complies um, with the accessibility requirements. The image on the left-hand side of the slide um, is it, it's an area that was designed in, um, initially to allow parking. So you see the curb separating the street and the sidewalk and these are the areas that don't comply with the accessibility and those are where the, where the improvements are needed. Um, so for the street to conform with accessibility requirements, um, access, the consultant was very clear that access from the sidewalk to the street um, dining area is required and it's needed. Um, so from staff's perspective, after looking at the scope of the study, uh, to, to address the issues identified by the consultant, we explored um, three concepts, um, alternatives at a, at, a, at a high level. You know, we don't have all the details, so we'd have to come back to council with that. But the three concepts that we studied, um, and, and there's pros and cons to each one of them, right? So the first option that we um, looked at is to add a ramp at each restaurant that is providing outdoor dining and using the streets. Um, this, you know, this option uh, at a very high estimate, we'd say that it would cost us about $400,000 to do all of the ramps. It would take about a year for our staff to design and construct the ramps. Um, but then from a look perspective, it would really break up the look and feel of Murphy Avenue and it would look at, you know, it, it would make it look a little clunky, you know, to have so many ramps on one block. Um, a second option that we studied, it was to raise the street to curb height. Um, now this option is one of the most expensive. It would also take the longest, um, and it probably would be the most disruptive, disruptive to the businesses. Um, we estimate that the cost of this would be almost $2 million, and it could take up to two years. Um, and this is to design and construct um, the raising of the street. And the reason why it's, it would take so long and it would be so expensive is because we would have to raise any existing infrastructure, um, such as manholes and utility boxes, those kinds of things. So that would take long. So then we looked at a third option, 
And this option was actually recommended by um, some of the businesses as we were doing our outreach. Um, and um, our staff also looked at it. And this option would be only raising the existing parking base where we are not in compliance. Um, this would be raising the parking base to curb height, and we would leave all the other infrastructure in place. Um, and this option has a estimated cost of between about 530,000 to 590,000. And, and, and where the delta and the price difference is, is that it would depend whether we are able to reuse um, existing pavers or if we could use a different material such as colored concrete. Next slide. So as I keep saying, you know, after we complete the study, um, staff recommends that council does move forward with a street closure. Um, there's strong community and business support for this. Um, and and, and for, in order for the city to move forward to closing the 100 block of South Murphy Avenue to cars, um, the city must create what, what's called a pedestrian mall. And that mall must be crea uh, created under the pedestrian mall law of 1960, which is part of the California Streets and Highway Code. Um, the law requires that the pedestrian mall um, only be used for pedestrian travel, and in order to create that mall, council has to take certain steps. That's why we have a lengthy recommendation. Um, in, in order to comply with the creation of the pedestrian mall, um, council has to adopt a resolution of intent to establish the mall and hold a public hearing, which we recommend that if council does move forward with that, that the public hearing is held on uh, May 16th of this year. And that would be for the um, establish, uh, establishment of the mall and to allow businesses and community to either support or oppose um, the creation of the mall. Um, staff is also recommending that council direct staff to return to council with a project to regrade the parking base. So we're recommending option three that I was talking about a little bit earlier and to um, pay for the, those improvements out of the city's community benefits fund. Um, as well as to adopt a resolution to direct the city manager to keep um, the street closed to cars until December 31st of this year. Um, keeping the street closed would um, allow staff to work on the design and construction of, of, of the project, bring it back to council and have a schedule in regards to when construction may start. And also to update council policy 1.1.0 um, and, and primarily, um, the policy needs updating to include the use of the street, because right now the policy only addresses the sidewalks, um, and also to add language regarding the, the uh, consistency of furniture, umbra umbrellas, those kinds of things. Um, and also, if the street is, um, if council chooses um, to uh, adopt staff's recommendation, um, staff would return to council with a maintenance plan after construction as well as a plan for how the project will be designed and constructed. This concludes staff report, and I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you very much, Connie. Uh, let's go to our council members. First up is Vice Mayor Dean. Thank you so much, Mayor, and uh, a huge thank you to staff for the presentation and honestly for the work they've been doing. I mean, it's very clear the level of community outreach that has gone on here. And I know that from what I've heard from our stakeholders, uh, they felt very engaged, so I appreciate it. My first question is, uh, in terms of what we're doing tonight, and uh, if we move forward with the staff recommendation, can you clarify for me and for the public uh, what that has, what that means for the fees themselves? Uh, I know you said that uh, 
staff would return later with the fee schedule, but uh, would we be establishing fees in any form tonight via the staff recommendation? No, we are recommending for the accessibility improvements, we are recommending that the city pay for that out of the community benefits fund. So that is one of the concerns that the businesses um, had expressed, you know, in regards to paying for those um, added expenses. So we are recommending that the city pay for that. And then in regards to the maintenance schedule, there, the council is not being asked to come up with a schedule right now because Again, depending on the option that council goes um, goes with and on how the street is designed, there may be some efficiencies that staff could um, gain by cleaning whatever the new street may look like. Um, and then working with the downtown association, there may be a different um, plan that staff could develop. Uh, and we can do those uh, two things in tandem. Okay. And do you have a sense right now of just ballpark figures of what uh, those maintenance fees might look like down the line because uh, I, you know, the way I'm seeing it, if we do move forward tonight, we still uh, we're setting ourselves up to have to figure that out at some point down the line. It, um, currently, the city spends about fifty thousand dollars a year in maintaining both the street and the sidewalks. Um, now that cost does include, you know, um, the extra cleanup that um, staff is currently doing because of the. Uh, waste from the crows um, and different maintenance and um, again staff will be would be looking at defining um, maybe looking at leveraging some different resources maybe different using techniques um, but that would be a, a, a good number to use about the 50,000 um, per year okay thank you and then um, just the final question I think you might have mentioned it but uh, if uh, we move forward with this or with the staff recommendation uh, what does the timeline look like on when uh, specifically that fee schedule would be returning to council for discussion and approval? We would look at hopefully being able to bring that back during the master fee schedule, which I'm looking at Kent to see if maybe it, it would be in June. Okay. Thank you so much. Those are all my questions. Thank you, Vice Mayor. Uh, next up is Councilmember Mellinger. Thank you very much, and thank you for an excellent uh, presentation, Ms. Versellas. Um, so I had some questions about the parking bays specifically. Um, so I'm remembering the parking bays. They're shaped somewhat rectangular cutouts for the most part uh, with curbs on either side and trees in the curbs. And so this would fill in the parking bay to the that, that rectangle to the height of where the curbs with the trees are. Would there be a ramp into the street on these parking bays, or would it just be a step-down curb? Where's Chip? I may be. <laughs> I'm calling in my experts. <laughs> yeah, hopefully is this on? Okay. Um, yeah, Chip Taylor, um, Public Works Director. So as far as the, um, it basically would be a ramp. So you would just basically take from the curb height right down to the street, so it'd be one long ramp more or less. Got it. I was wondering, essentially I was wondering how that solved the ADA compliance, but seeing that there's essentially one long ramp in those bays, that does make a lot of sense to me. Um, and this one is for you, Ms. Vercellas, which is, you said, roughly $50,000 a year in maintenance ongoing and 20 businesses that are currently using the outdoor dining. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. My back of the envelope math is that would amount to about $2,500 per business or about $200 per business per month. Um, does that start to sound like what the fees could possibly one day look like? That's, that's the calculation that we had used and presented to them at the, um, at, 
during our obviously we could decide as council if we wanted to subsidize the maintenance to some extent absolutely all right thank you very much that does it for my questions thank you councilmember mellinger uh, next up is councilmember srinivasan thank you mayor uh, thank you uh, staff for an excellent presentation i have a question uh, question on the slides the third and uh, second and third slide had no concerns as a uh, as an item what does that mean they they had no concerns in closing the street to cars oh okay <laughs> Okay, because that's the same as the other response, right? Yes, and that was part of the open-ended question that we asked both the community as well as the um, businesses. Okay. Yeah, I also had a question about the uh, fees, but then uh, uh, my colleagues have asked that. But more importantly, when you look at uh, furniture and uh, 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 other umbrella consistency, I would also uh, uh, ask for... Uh, any vegetation or trees and plants and containers, uh, planting containers consistency also. That way the entire downtown, that Murphy Street will look very, very consistent. So so this, the trees are maintained um, by the city and the planters that are out there, most of them are, not all, not most of them, all of them should be maintained by the city if there are some that were planted by the businesses, we can work with them to ensure that their okay. compliance with the um, Murphy Avenue streetscape. Okay, sounds good. Those are my questions. Thank you very much. Thank you, Councilmember. Next up is Councilmember Cisneros. Yes, thank you for the presentation. I know this has been, um, we've been talking about this for a while and it's quite a lot of work because, you know, as the survey results showed, it seems like, wow, everyone likes this. Maybe in Sunnyvale, the community has never agreed on something this hard before and, and, and you get really excited and then the devil's in the details it gets really complicated really quickly and we i've been telling my residents that and, and other folks it's quite a policy area so i do have a couple questions um so you bring up the master fee schedule and so if we were to levy fees on either murphy avenue or the downtown businesses or however we want to arrange that would we need to reopen the downtown bid or I'm basically asking, when we're talking about the master fee schedule, what part are you meaning? Because I know the bid can be a very complicated process. So the bid is a separate entity. The master fee schedule is strictly from the city in regards to the fees and the um, permit fees, that the, all the fees that the city charges. So that's strictly within our purview, and, and we handle that. The bid would need to reopen if the, the bid or the downtown association, as the fiscal agents for the bid, wishes to take this um, cleaning as an um, item and charge their own um, their businesses to pay for that so it's it's two separate tandems they don't have to reopen up the, the bid um, each business could pay um, if, if we handle it through the master fee schedule when they come in and say I want to have outdoor dining on Murphy Avenue we say here's the process here's the application here's the policy in regards to the conditions that we put on and here's your fee and the fee could include recovery for maintenance of that if the bid comes to the city and say, you know, that I'm, I'm using $50,000, don't mm -hmm. quote me just as a, for an example, if the bid comes and say, you know, we want to pay for the maintenance and then we want to split that up to our businesses, then the bid would have to look at potentially doing another um, uh, zone. Thank you. 
<laughs> I had lost the word, uh, another zone to collect those fees in order to pay for that maintenance. But again, it would, it would be um, not required. There's different ways to handle it. Okay, that, this is a, such a helpful distinction to pull apart because on one hand you can do this this process that's very specific to the downtown, and the other, and the other hand the city is completely you know in charge of that. And so um, in in that event with the fee schedule, if we were to do that, it would only be the downtown businesses that want to take advantage of the opportunity with the closed down Murphy Avenue would need to pay into the fee schedule, right? That is correct, but under the Mall Act, we would have to do, you know, an open hearing. Uh, if, if it is going to be used for part of the Mall Act, it would be a, a hearing, but it would all be handled through the city. It does not have to be handled through the bid, but okay. it would only be the businesses that apply to use for the outdoor dining. Okay, and um, just another clarifying question on that. Um, is it a static maintenance cost, and then, say, only three businesses want to pay into it, and I'm just spitballing that, or maybe all of them do, does that fee go up and down depending on how many um, businesses participate in the program? It, you know, to your to your point earlier, the devil's in the details, and it would really depend on again what program we look at, what kind of standards the the city um, we have to have, because the street will have to be maintained to certain standards, and it really depends on what the finished product looks like in regards to whatever improvements we make. Um, so, I would imagine certain costs would be fixed, and other costs that there there may be a variable. And then, you know, right now we have the extra cost with the crows. Um, we yeah. hope that we can address those but another again a lot of variables another devil's in the details problem <laughs> uh, lots of those downtown and and I just want to say like that's going to be important to me to think about equity because if you have if it goes up exponentially the fewer people use it I could see that being a very big slippery slope into just dis discouraging use of it at all so I know that, that I'm glad to hear that that's a, another problem for another meeting um, uh, and I'll be looking forward to hearing more about that as we think through more of the details we have before us today um, Oh, and I wanted to address another aspect of equity um, in terms of this process more. So I know that there are a number of uh, people who own or manage downtown businesses who it's really important to get buy-in and their participation, but they're uh, you know, English language learners and maybe some of these details, that the really important things like fees and, and figuring out the infrastructure of uh, the areas right outside their business, the, it could get lost in the translation. So I was wondering, is there a way that we can make sure that we're getting outreach to businesses in, in the, the language they're most comfortable with so we're able to get um, people's you know, complete consent on these things? You know, we have we work very closely with the Downtown Association, and we haven't heard that, that that's an issue. But um, obviously, if it's absolutely an issue, we, we would address it and work uh, with our Downtown Association as a partner, um, different partners that we have in the downtown area to ensure that information is adequately um, distributed. Awesome, awesome. And I know, I know we're so thoughtful and good about that, and that was just something that came to my mind when I'm talking to Downtown Business Association and different business owners, uh, that that's not always an easy thing. And it's a little thing that makes a big difference, so thank you. Um, so how are, and I guess, and tell me this, if this is a question. Oh, actually, this is a question, because my question was on, um, like, the umbrellas and furniture consistency, and I'm just, like, seeing the numbers rack up in my head. Would that be, again, for as we go into the more details of the fee after we decide? That would be a condition of approval on, on the permit, you know, when they come in and look. We would say, you know, no tents, you know, you could do umbrellas. There's, there's a look. And the guidelines, the red line version, that's, um, it's attachment, bear with me here, let me look at my notes. Attachment 5, it's the red line version of the policy that we're recommending on the changes. And specifically, if you look at... Um, section 
I'm looking, bear with me. It's primarily under section C. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that, that talks about the requirements and what the furniture, um, C3 under appearance for the furniture, what it looks like. So again, it, it, this would be when they come and get their permit, the city would say, you know, here's the guidelines that we're looking for. Um, and we did um, work with the downtown association on this language. So I think we feel pretty comfortable that we have a plan. But of course, you know, if, if there's additional modifications that we need to make as the program goes on, we would continue to work with our partners. Okay, awesome. And, and uh, that's it for my questions now. That was uh, very helpful, and I look forward to hearing the rest of the questions from my colleagues and from the members of the public. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you, Council Member. Next up is Council Member Sell. Hi. I wanted to thank staff for the work that they've done on this um, uh, banning cars on this street. Um, I could see from the previous presentations that uh, the cost per merchant was at one point going to be higher, but it seems like you took feedback from the merchants and outreach, and now you've come to this proposal, and uh, it's a very um, good proposal in terms of, I think, um, allowing the merchants to um, continue to have their businesses. So I was wondering, in the future, as we progress on this, will that continue to be um, staff's frame of mind to have outreach and uh, work closely with the downtown association because we want to have strong businesses and strong businesses uh, have the outcome of what you just did with this is to have good outreach to understand the business community understand the community and and come out with the best outcome so will you keep doing that um, absolutely, and um, for staff from the economic development um, division attends all of uh, I would say 99% of the uh, Sunnyvale Downtown Association meetings on a regular basis. And um, that we just don't only attend the meetings. You know, there's constant communication in regards to um, how businesses are doing. We do check-in. We do business uh, visits and, you know, participate in a lot of their events. Because I noticed in your statements you mentioned that it might take for some several more years to recover. And so they'd be conscious of that. Um, the other thing is with the furniture, um, with some of the furniture that some of the um, businesses have, some of them are pretty elaborate investment in their furniture. Um, do you see um, the businesses, some businesses, being able to retain and meeting those? It's still... Absolutely. Okay. Yes. That's good. Um, and um, you mentioned kind of a back-of-the-hat kind of estimate of the 50k per year and then dividing that by 20 businesses um it seems like uh it might be good to try to keep a cap on the um expenses so that it doesn't go up so i'm glad you are conscious of the businesses and trying to find economic ways to have maintenance and that's good so um i guess i don't have any other feedback. I think you're doing an excellent job with staff working in partnership with the Downtown Association and the merchants, and I just applaud you for the excellent work that staff is doing and representing our city in this way. Thank you so much. 
Thank you, Councilmember. Uh, next up is Councilmember Melton. Yeah, thanks, Mayor Klein. That's a that's a tough act to follow. I agree completely with my colleague, Councilmember Sell, and um, kudos to staff for the tremendous work that's been done um, in a topic that's got just a tremendous amount of support from the community. I found myself just quickly looking at the Pedestrian Mall Act of 1960, of all things, and one thing I observe is that um, the creation of a pedestrian mall revolves primarily around closing the street. That's the act that happens. And then there's also some words in here about predominantly for use of pedestrian travel. You maybe read this yourself. And I, I would just want the city, if you haven't already thought it all the way through, to think about bicycles and the uh, bird scooters and all of that stuff that we're not inadvertently tripping over anything in the Pedestrian Mall Act about all non-vehicular uses that we would like to be able to see on Murphy Avenue. So I'll just toss that out there, and I'm sure you've already looked at a lot of that. Um, and then, um, you know, Connie, the way I look at this is sometimes we um, upzone land in our zoning code, and that's kind of the way I'm looking at it here. It's not technically a rezone or an upzone is just creating a different use for the city land that's already there. And I'll ask if you agree with this or not, but sometimes when we upzone things, then the uh, people, right, residents or businesses who benefit from the higher use of the land sometimes then end up paying more into the system um, to make that all work. We see that sometimes with um, development agreements or other mechanisms like that. Do you think the same concept holds true here with what we're doing on closing Murphy Avenue, Connie? You know, there there's definitely a benefit to the businesses by having the outdoor dining. Um, it, it allows them to have additional dining space, um, which they could serve more customers. You know, on the flip side, too, by uh, the businesses having more sales, this, the city gets more sales tax revenue, right? So it's, it's a win-win um, situation. But definitely businesses on Murphy Avenue having access to, um, you know, additional dining opportunities, um, does put them at, a, at an advantage, and we did hear, you know, from some businesses that are located, you know, right outside the zone on Washington Avenue that they don't have the same ability. Got it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Councilmember, and I have several questions. <clears throat> um, first of all, uh, let's talk about what Councilmember Sell brought up about consistency of furniture. So, from a variety standpoint and I just look at you know what's the vision of downtown I didn't see any mention specifically about tents versus umbrella and the policy here and this kind of goes back to the issues with crows and how usable umbrellas are versus tents uh, I, I'm just trying to get a better feel for are you know do you consider tents invalid in the long term and only umbrellas uh, as long as they're cleaned and you know how what kind of what kind of monitoring conceivably does staff look at for cleanliness and you know issues as far as that's concerned you know we look at um, there are I, I and I apologize I'm gonna have to look at our policy again and I may do it as uh, another question comes up but I um, that was the intent um, the businesses some businesses said that you know the sort of your pop-up tent it just, they just don't look attractive and they said that you know they would prefer to have more of an umbrellas um, that maybe you can rotate and, and and have more flexibility to either um, the idea for the umbrellas was to uh, 
help people from the elements, right? And if you take an umbrella that's more attractive, that you can bend it a certain way, cover the sun, um, different things. It just it just looked better versus you know sort of a ten by ten tent that you could go and buy at uh, Big Five. Um, so that that's where that came from is is, is having that. And from the um, perspective that you know the conditions is to keep it in a um, you know, well-looking uh, manner, and that it's not worn or torn. Um, there are those regulations, and the way you know, just like we handled most other complaints, um, we would look at the conditions of approval, ensure that they are complying with it, and if they're not, we would look, work with the businesses to um, ensure that they are in compliance. Okay, and I appreciate that. My only issue is I have seen, let's say, a windy day cause lots of issues with umbrellas where the tent would not have a similar issue. So. I, you know, I, I understand, and from a visual standpoint, I'm not sure to me which is best. Um, you know, a high quality tent versus a cheap tent, versus a cheap umbrella versus a, you know a a heavier umbrella that's that's um, is down is basically weighted down. I think does make a difference. But I'll leave that to staff. You know, I, I do like, I, I do want to make sure that there's um, variety along the street and. As Councilmember Sell was talking about, you know, I do think that a lot of several several of the um, restaurants have really created spaces that I think are very unique and and I think valuable to have not standard a standard table. You know, having a high you know a higher table with stools as opposed to a standard table with four chairs. I think has really made a few a few restaurants very unique as far as downtown is concerned. Uh, a question as far as implementation. I think I need um, uh, Chip back up here. Uh, I understand what's what's happening as far as as far as kind of fixing the bays. What slope does that end up being? You know, from a table standpoint, and you know, having chairs and tables on that. How how big is that slope from going from? the existing point to let's say the end of the bay or the the parking bay yeah it's going to be probably a little bit less than a handicap ramp that you might see because it's a little bit longer distance and you're going down um, whether a table will fit perfectly on there i'm not quite sure because you will have a little bit of a slope there um, so it kind of depends on the areas and how high the curb is because some of them will match into the existing uh, gutter that's there and so if the curb's a little bit higher a little bit lower it could affect that as well Mainly, it's just for the pedestrians to be able to get down there, and it's kind of a flow into the street. Okay, so this goes back to the use of these parking bays then, um, Connie. Trying to get a better feel for what's envisioned, because if you look at, you know, if you look at the outdoor dining that's, that's being utilized for by a lot of these areas now, they're, they're looking at, you know, chairs and then conceive, you know, chairs, within, chairs and tables within the parking bays mm -hmm. and then beyond to some point farther out in the street. Are we now saying it's only beyond the ramp? Are we only, you know, trying to get a better feel for the actual usage of this pedestrian zone? You know, we think that the the race in the bays would be still a usable space because if you look at Murphy Avenue, it's, it's a little bit slope, it's higher in the middle. So when you raise the side, the ramp may not be as, as, as steep because you're pretty much racing the and I'm not, I'm not an engineer, so I'm not explaining this very well, but, you know, the side where the ramp is going to be raised is going to be actually a little bit more even with the middle of the street because the middle of the street is higher right now. Does that 
Makes for sense, the for the middle sections, the middle third of the street, let's say. Correct. I'm just trying to get a better feel for, like, at the Oxford or at the at at um, Dish Dash farther, like the the north, the far north and the far south ends, how that looks or how that feel how that is feel is as far as you know seating and how we ultimately, you know, ultimately what we do, I'm assuming when we're charging, doing final fees here is, are you using the sidewalk or are you using the bay and the sidewalk? Are you using the sidewalk, the bay, and a portion of the street? I'm is that how the fees are envisioned when we go down to maintenance? We would look at all of those efforts. And then obviously as um, staff comes back with, you know, a, a, a project on the design and construction of the street, these are all the things that we would look at because the intent is to use that area for outdoor dining. Um, so we want to make sure that, you know, however we, we construct it and we built it, it allows it to, to be usable because um, otherwise then we wouldn't be recommending using the the street. Absolutely. Kent? Yeah, just a brief comment. Um, I think really the controlling factor on how much of the street can be used, it, there's a minimum dimension for a clear space for access to emergency personnel, and that's really what would control how much of the street is usable. So whether it's bay or, or center of street is not going to be controlling of how far people can go out towards the center. It's keeping a clear zone that would control that. Thank you for bringing that. That, that was going to be one of my next questions. Um, is there envisioned to be a demarcation zone of the, according to the, the um, attachment five, the five or six feet? Is, is there going to be basically a, a mark within the street pavers or something of that nature to permanently say beyond this point or within this area pedestrian traffic will never be imposed upon by tables by chairs or anything of that nature that would be a condition of approval when the permit happens and then the restaurants also would have to have their own delineation because under abc rules they do have to have some kind of barrier that shows where their ABC license is valid. So again, our condition of approval, similar to where we're handling it now, is we would say you'd have to keep the six feet down the middle of the road um, or, or the middle of the street, and then your barriers can't go past that. And we do, you know, enforce that. Uh, understood. And, and for, for me, I think it would just be logistically better if we made, you know, black conceivably black cobblestones down, you know, down that six foot wide. So at least we, you know, it's very clear because yeah, as we know, when people are parking next to fire hydrants or whatever, people can't dis easily discern what six feet is. You know, people have problems evaluating this is my distance. And, and if we, if we make that clear from the very beginning, I think, you know, yes, it's additional, conceivably additional cost to the, to the project, but it's, you know, it could be every five pavers or, you know, something of that nature down the street that actually clearly identifies for everyone's knowledge that this is where, this is the untouchable pedestrian zone through the center of the project. And regardless of what, how much different, different um, or, uh, restaurants do, I think that, that to me is very critical to make sure that this is viable at the end of the day for public safety, and it's, it's very clear, you know, we don't have to move out, out of that area or move, you know, tables or chairs or, you know, uh, and, you, and that goes to the next question. Uh, you talked about enforcement, 
and I've seen good and bad um, restaurants downtown that have, let's say, skirted some of the issues over the last three years as far as the pandemic and what their area is. What are, you know, what, what's the process? What's the enforcement? What's the fine? Or is it just re removing, you know, basically revoking a, a, a permit? And, and, if, if they're in, in, well, and, and this is the reason why we wanted to update the policy, right? Because right now there is a, we issue them permit, and then there's really no revocation. So by looking at the policy and coming back with an annual review and an annual permit, that the permit um, does need to be renewed on an annual basis. We hope to alleviate some of those issues that we were having right now with some businesses maybe not being in compliance and the city not really having a lot of teeth to be able to bring them into compliance. So doing an annual review of those permits would hopefully alleviate some of those issues. Thank you. And then I'll, I'll bring it up with the city attorney conceivably or yourself. Is there is there a need for a fine, you know, for for someone that's out of compliance that let's say, is a bad actor. Do we need to wait six months, nine months, until the next permit re renewal? Or is there or is there ability to say that we're going to revoke this permit unless they become into compliance? Well, there's a couple. One, revocation obviously is the most serious enforcement. But depending on how we structure, and we haven't really gone into the details, I would imagine it would be treated like an administrative citation because um, the property owner will be a responsible party, even though it may be the lessee who's actually um, using the space. We would be able to say, you're not staying within your area, you're violating your, uh, the umbrellas don't match, the tables are bad repair, whatever it might be. We would go through the standard process where I'm assuming it would be neighborhood preservation would give them a notice here's what you need to remedy. They would wait the period of time that they give them the remedy, and if they don't, then they would issue an administrative citation, and it would follow that administrative citation process. Okay, and I appreciate that. That that makes sense. I just want to make sure that, that any bad actors are brought into compliance as quickly as possible. Um, I'll, I'll, I thank the vice mayor and other council members for bringing up the fees issues. Um, I do think, as Councilmember Cisneros talked about equity, I do think that that we end up, in my mind, figuring out what, if all if all um, businesses took part, what the what a fan standard fee would do, and then as far as maintenance of the rest of the street, if they're not, if half of them, 30, 30 of the sixty, take part, then the city pays for the other 30, 50 percent of that. Uh, one question that isn't specific to the street, but has been, you know, I've, I've received several emails on ADA compliance and, and other issues along Washington Avenue. Is there a vision for what, you know, it's, it's outside of the pedestrian zone, but it is critical from, let's say, an ADA standpoint or short-term parking for, for, you know, pickup, food pickup and things of that nature. We've done temporary vision, you know, temporary results over the last three years as far as Washington Avenue and the parking along there. Is there any vision now for that? And I know it's not specific to this, but it is, <laughs> it is fairly pertinent. 
Yeah, I can't recall, and I'm, I'm looking at Chip to see if he recalls what the final configuration of Washington after CityLine finished uh, with their project, oh, yeah. if there's even That's going to be, or maybe Dennis, if there's going to be. Um, yeah, I don't have it right in front of me. Yeah, so. sorry. <laughs> and you can come back later if you, but we'll put Dennis on the spot. <laughs> uh, good evening, Mayor, Council Members. So after final configuration and construction of CityLine, there will be on-street parking. Uh, currently, we don't have it designated as loading, unloading, or timed, but then that's something that we have on our calendar and our list of things to do as once construction nears the end. Okay, I appreciate that. And uh, hopefully, to me, that those two things, as opposed to standard long-term parking or hourly, two-hour parking, ADA, you know, ADA and short-term, to me, are critical to make the access to to Murphy uh, historic South Murphy Avenue really viable and lastly city pays non-compliance uh, lastly so we're adding and we're, we're taking away car parking fantastic has staff envisioned adding additional bike parking anywhere along that area you know as far as now we have, you know, and, and not that we're trying to attract bikes to go down the center of the street. That being said, having additional bike parking in this, in this pedestrian zone, to me, is, a bio, is, is something that attracts more people to utilize active transportation as much as possible. We did not contemplate that as part of the study, uh, but I'm sure, you know, I'm looking to my colleagues in public, public works if that's something that council is... Uh, Probably just stand up here. <laughs> um, Thank you. Yeah, so bike park, we can certainly add it. I mean, yeah. we have racks that we can put in place. So if we put them either in the parking lot in the back or if there is room on the street itself, if it does get closed, we could add them there. So there is the possibility to do that. We just look at it as we get through the final design, that kind of thing. Right, because I was, you know, in looking at kind of the, the, the layout now, there are certain areas where definitely it's kind of, I'll say, dead zones of, of there, there wouldn't be a outdoor seating for a certain business there. And often, they're, sometimes they're adjacent to where bike racks are already on the sidewalk level, but we can now put them farther out. So, you know, beyond the bay, beyond that, although there's the, the cleanup issue. But I, I, I just want to make sure that, you know, I think it makes that downtown more viable. The more bike racks that can be seen easily in that area just makes it you know more attractive yeah i think all those things could be added even like benches in the future things like that so there's lots of opportunities okay great and that is the last of my questions um next up is council member mellinger thank you very much mr mayor and my colleagues have inspired me a little bit um so a couple things uh regarding the question of tents I understand there may be some aesthetic concerns, but I think there may be an overriding public health concern if the tents offer better protection from the crows. Uh, and so I'd like that <laughs> considered and weighted appropriately. Um, so I really want to echo what the mayor said about additional bike parking. I think it would be fantastic if we could add bike parking on Murphy Avenue. I can say that when there are special events like the farmer's market or the music, it can be very difficult to find parking for a bicycle on Murphy. So I think the demand is there. Uh, in terms of the fee structure, one thing, you know, again, I agree with the mayor. I'm a broken record here. But uh, we should be treating this as renting 
right-of-way from the city. And it should not be, well, we're spreading this $50,000 in maintenance across the 5, 10, 20 businesses that are using it because that can lead to, you know, essentially a death spiral where the fees become unsustainable if fewer businesses are using it. But rather, I'm renting 40 feet of frontage on the street for my tables, and that is being charged per foot based on some fixed rate that would then be used to help defer maintenance costs, but it's not something where we're saying, you know, okay, we're going to try and divvy the maintenance costs among the businesses. Um, and I will say that, you know, in general, I believe that when we're talking about, you know, private businesses utilizing the public right-of-way, some fee is appropriate. There is a good deal of economic evidence that people treat things they pay for better than they treat things they get for free. Um, but that fee should not be onerous and it should not be, uh, it should be set at an appropriate level. Um, lastly, the Jersey barriers at either end of Murphy Avenue. So these uh, big, ugly, orange, water-filled containers that are at either end of the street to sort of be an, a crash barrier for cars. Uh, they are necessary currently from a public safety perspective, but boy, they are ugly. They catch the rainwater. I see trash in them all the time, you know, stubbed out cigarettes, etc. As we look at this, can we look at replacing those Jersey barriers with something more attractive? I note that Mountain View on Castro Street has these lovely spherical bollards uh, that very heavy, very immovable, and would offer very adequate protection. You know, we preliminary, yes, we can look at that and just a little bit of feedback, you know, when we started looking at that from an operational perspective, if the city is going to continue maintaining that street, we need something that you could easily remove in order to get the cleaning crew and, and, and mm. different struck in there. So that's where the conflict and the tension is, but we can definitely look at that. That is something that's already on our radar screen. Uh, but just bear in mind from an operational perspective, again, if the city is going to be maintaining the street or anybody, you know, um, in order to get a street sweeper or different things, it has to be an area that could easily be moved. Understood. Thank you so much. Thank you. And next is Councilmember Cisneros. Yeah, thank you. I just have a couple more questions. And my first question was act actually going to be about bike parking. So thank you, Mayor, for asking it. That's something that residents have raised to me as something that they would like to see in downtown, people who bike a lot or maybe, you know, especially to encourage more biking. Um, so that's something that's been said. But um, so speaking on the ramps, so I've seen some different, I've seen different kinds of ramps in different cities all around. And I'm thinking about one set of ramps in San Pedro Square in San Jose. They're like very temporary ramps, sort of looks like at a concert you would see. And in my opinion, it's not very attractive. So I was wondering, are we at the stage where we're thinking about uh, what kind of ramps that we intend to use? Because I think that could be important aesthetically or with uh, how much we spend on them. That could be depending on the option on council, um, whatever direction, and on those three options that um, I propose, staff proposes, um, staff would come back with an actual design um, and project, and we'd be able to look at those at that time. Good, staff. I'm glad that part of that. Um, and I just want to echo uh, several of the comments my colleagues brought up by uh, thinking about tents and how we might work to allow businesses to use them. And I just wanted to chime in there and say, uh, to me, that's not only important to protect the people from the crows, which is our ongoing project. Um, and But it's also in the cooler months where somebody could get sprinkled on or rain could start. It makes outdoor dining more attractive. And same when, it, when it's hot. 
having consistent shades in it is important. So I'm just trying to think um, of how we can support the downtown and being more vibrant um, every day of the year, if possible. Um, and then the design of those, of course, um, you know, is fully within the purview to do, but that is an option is very attractive to me. Um, and, and then we, we talk a lot about the aesthetics of this. And I guess this might be a question for Kent as well, and you as well. We have uh, the rules downtown about uh, signage and about um, flags or banners and the use of those. And right now, we don't allow them. I'm just thinking of this because we have a pride celebration downtown. And it doesn't quite feel like pride to me without a lot of rainbow flags all over the place. And so when we're talking about these aesthetics, is that something we can, uh, we can change in this process? Or is that something council would need to bring up as a separate item? Um, I'm going to ask uh, actually Trudy to also chime in on this because I think there is um, something specific on the um, sign code in regards to um, flags and different things. Trudy, if you can help me out on this one. Thank you, Trudy Ryan, Community Development Director. I'm so sorry. There weren't any questions for me, so I wasn't paying attention. Now there's a question sure. for Sure. <laughs> I could repeat. Um, that's very understandable. Um, so we have the rules about signage and banners downtown and we don't put them up during events like pride or any of that but since we're talking about the aesthetics here with the downtown and thinking about uniform code is there an opportunity here to give an exemption to murphy because of the celebrations and vibrancy of that particular street or just downtown in general or is this something council would need to bring up as a separate item well there, there are really basically two types of signs so there are the private signs that are on the building um, that, uh, that advertise the business or their products. And then we have the banners that um, are form of signage, but those are managed by the city for kind of general, um, general messaging or um, you know, making something look a little bit more attractive. Um, to start adding signs in the right-of-way, is that sort of where you're? Yeah, so just to give an example, like, is allowing, because we have our pride celebration on Murphy, would it be allow, or we have, um, we're allowing fl like flags to be flown in front of businesses during occasions such as those approved by the city, something that can be done in this or something else? Yeah, if it's on the, if it's on the business, um, on the building, mm -hmm. there are some provisions that, for, for flags, um, typically we talk about you know, national, state, or local flags. Um, We'd probably have to take a little bit of a look at it, but um, how high it's located, what kind of angle, that would all be important for, for public safety. So that would be a potential study issue rather than something. I, I think so. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I just want to, I was like, I'm not sure about that. So, yeah, I, I think that's all my question. In the right of way, you wouldn't want someone trying to erect signage in the right of way. Yeah, I, think I don't think so. But so the, the building and, and things on yeah, the building would be a separate. I think so. Okay. Okay. Thank you for the clarification. Thank you, Council Member. Uh, that looks like all the questions from staff. So I will go ahead and open the public hearing. Uh, members of the public wishing to address City Council, please submit a speaker card or dial star nine or raise your, uh, raise your digital hand now if you w if to indicate that you wish to speak. I will call on members of the public participating in person first, and then the city clerk will ask remote participants to unmute their microphones when it's your turn to address city council. 
Uh, speakers will have three minutes to speak for members in person. We have the timer with countdown timer with lights, green meaning go, yellow meaning 30 seconds remaining, red meaning stop. Uh, my first speaker card is Mike Johnson, followed by Melinda Hamilton. Good evening. Um, thank you for this um, engaging discussion. I'm Mike Johnson, the Executive Director of the Sunnyvale Downtown Association Business Improvement District. This evening I am speaking on behalf of the SDA Board of Directors and the businesses on Historic Murphy Avenue. The SDA Board and Murphy Avenue businesses support agenda item 23-1422 to consider the permanent closure of the 100 block South Murphy Avenue to establish a pedestrian mall as a study issue. In addition, we support staff's recommendation to adopt alternatives 1, 2, 3, and 4. As we support the staff's recommendation, we also would like to ask that the City Council consider the businesses on Historic Murphy Avenue and by deferring the cost of city street cleaning and maintenance for a few years at least to get started to um, assist businesses coming through this economic challenge and moving into the new economy challenge that we're experiencing. Um, there has been um, there has been a service that the city has covered. Um, I'm sorry, I missed the line here. So in addition to maintenance uh, for a few years, and there has been a service that has been considered covered for the last few years, or as long as I can remember with regards to maintenance and street cleaning. So it's always been something that has been done. So to initially bring this in right now at this time would be really devastating for the smaller businesses that are on Historic Murphy Avenue. Historic Murphy Avenue serves the city for over two centuries. Uh, it's the heart of the city for a reason. It's our living room. It's where we invite our friends, residents, family, and visitors. All of the businesses are small independent businesses working from dawn to dusk daily to keep their operation in place. We all know that the challenges that are coming up in the near days with regards to wages, food costs, fixed costs, uh, reduction in daily customer service um, sales because this point in time sales are down. Uh, the sales are down and the prices are up. So businesses are suffering at this moment we hope that the city will support the temporary covering of these expenses for at least the next few years while we work through the process of this program. Thank you. I yield my time. Thank you very much. Uh, next up is Melinda Hamilton, followed by Martin Pine. Hello. My name is Melinda Hamilton. And I am so, well, first of all, I want to say I didn't want to take another three minutes else time, but I totally support Angela Hickson's comments earlier about Fremont. Um, 
that's all I'm going to say. Um, but I am so excited to see this come forward, and I just had to come down and tell you that I really hope you approve it, and I want, I'm so glad to actually be here in front of you encouraging you to do something that you already seem inclined to do. I think it's awesome. Um, this is at least the third time it came up. Uh, I was on council when we redid the whole Murphy Street design in 2005, and the businesses didn't want it then, and, and then they didn't want it again in 2010, and I'm just sad it took a pandemic, but I'm really glad that everybody's finally on board with this. So. I think it's spectacular. I'm going to leave the details up to you. But I do have one request. Um, I know that since the farmer's market has moved on to just Washington and now no longer stretches down Murphy, nobody comes down Murphy anymore on Saturday mornings. They're losing a lot of business. So if there's some way to maybe talk to the merchants and see if there's some way to encourage people to come from the farmer's market back down Murphy and, and – um, go to those businesses again because I think that actually has been a pretty big impact on them since the farmer's market moved off the street. So thank you so much and I'm so glad to be here to support you. Yay. Thanks. Thank you very much. Uh, next up is Martin Pine followed by Jason Finesmith. Oh, number four. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Martin Pine. I'm the chair of the Planning Commission, but I'm here speaking solely on my own behalf. I'm excited about this project, and I'm in full support of staff recommendation. The reason I put up my speaker card was because I was just based on something Mayor Klein said about kind of emphasizing the pedestrian right-of-way, is that right now when you walk down the middle of, Mur of Murphy Avenue, it's actually kind of awkward when you're trying to cross Evelyn, if you're walking, if you're walking north. Because, I, because when I walk to Murphy Avenue, I'm coming from, I'm coming from north of the track. So usually I use that, that Hawk Beacon way to cross Evelyn because the Sunnyvale-Evelyn interchange is in intersection is an utter pain pedestrian wise now hopefully that will be better when we add the railroad under crossing but anyways the thing is if you're going down in the center you kind of have to do this little jog if you're going northbound to the left to cross to cross into the hawk beacon and that's actually not that obvious if, if you're not familiar with the intersection so i'd because it's square with because the Hawk Beacon is square with the sidewalk on the left west side. So I'd just like to suggest that when, like, if there's some design detail to emphasize what the pedestrian access zones are, and I know there's, we're keeping this, we are keeping that sidewalk as a pedestrian access area in the plan, but I'd just like to have a, I'd, I think it would be good if it was made a bit more obvious, saying if you're exiting Murphy Avenue northbound, this is how you cross the street so you don't have people just trying to run across Evelyn where they're not supposed to and potentially getting hit by cars. Thank you. Thank you. That was my last speaker card. Does anyone else wish to speak on this item? You can go ahead and just speak and we'll t turn it in afterwards. Go, go ahead. Yes, um, he can't do that. My English Sorry. is not so nice. It's possible to... No. Sorry. Okay. You can speak for in, you can speak for yourself if you want. No. I want to oh. say I'm the owner of with C City Restaurant in Murphy Avenue. Thank you for the opportunity to close at the Murphy Street and we are really happy for that and for the the opportunity to go up our restaurant, grow, grow up our restaurant. Uh, I want to say thank you everybody for the amazing job. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
So that was my last speaker card. Uh, City Clerk, do we have anyone remote who wishes to speak on? Oh, one. Oh. No, 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 no. I'm just stopping this. Anyone who wishes to speak remote? Yes, Mr. Mayor. First up, we have Bryce Beagle, followed by Sarab Dubuvadi. Bryce, you've been unmuted and have three minutes to address City Council. Good evening, Council and City staff. Uh, my name is Bryce Beagle. I serve on the BPAC, but tonight I'm speaking solely in my own capacity. I'm in full support of staff's recommendation to permanently close Murphy Avenue to vehicular traffic. I walk to Murphy Avenue four, maybe five times a week, and it has been such a pleasant place to walk and eat and otherwise enjoy my time these past couple years. Downtown Sunnyvale is one of my favorite places to be, and taking this action will allow it to continue to be so. I do have a couple of requests for council and staff as they proceed, though. Firstly, I think colleagues that this action closing Murphy Avenue has been the wrong take. Instead, think of it as reopening it for, for people and all things a livable street can do. Uh, secondly, please keep in mind that this is public space and public right-of-way. I absolutely love dining outdoors and do so frequently, but I would appreciate it if the space was not entirely de facto given to the private businesses. I would really appreciate having some shaded public space I can go sit out with my laptop or book and just enjoy without having to buy something at a restaurant to get a seat. Right now, there are only a couple uncomfortable metal benches hidden amongst the dining tables. Uh, finally, the bike parking situation on the street needs improvement. As mentioned a few minutes ago by Councillor Mellinger, quite often, such as during the farmer's market or other events like the music, there is not enough bike rack space. Bikes are often locked to light poles or the little fence next to Goodwill. Furthermore, many of the bike racks that are located on the street are located within the spaces that the restaurants put their tables out, rendering them unusable. I strongly encourage the city to add extra bike parking while taking this initiative. Uh, thank you. I yield my time. Thank you. Next up, we have Leah Melman. Leah, you've been unmuted and have three minutes to address City Council. Thank you, um, Council. Um, and uh, and I'm speaking on, on my own behalf and not as the chairperson of the Sunnyvale Bicycle Pedestrian Advisory Commission. I concur with the staff recommendation that uh, Sutton Murphy Avenue be made a permanent pedestrian uh, area. I think having a, uh, a city center where you have a safe space for pedestrians um, to, to be able to sit outside, to have a venue, uh, outdoor venue readily available for, for street concerts and so forth is uh, a very desirable thing in terms of uh, bringing the uh, city together. Additionally, I would like to add my comments with respect to, um, I agree that the farmer's market, I think, should also go back up on Murphy on, on the Saturdays because I liked being able to go through the farmer's market and then wander to my favorite shops on Murphy afterwards. Um, I think putting it strictly out on Washington Street or where it's been um, now also in the parking lot kind of isolates it from Murphy directly and doesn't encourage people to um, to join the businesses that are along there to uh, to get some something to eat or to go strolling into the bookstore or, or what have you. Additionally, um, the yes, the current situation with respect to bicycle parking is problematic. Oftentimes, a lot of the bicycle racks are occluded by tables, by trash bins by being too close to the lampposts. So the bike parking uh, needs to be adjusted to permit more bicycle parking. And also when uh, the businesses are using Murphy Avenue, it would be nice that if the tables were not 
scattered all across the entirety of the avenue, but that there was a clear access from one end to the other where people could walk and stroll and instead of having to sort of navigate around their way through obstacles. And that is all my comments, and I look forward to uh, hearing what the upcoming council vote will be, and I yield the remainder of my time. Thank you. Next up, we have Sarab. Sarab, you've been unmuted and have three minutes to address City Council. Thank you. My name is uh, Saurabh Dwevedi, and uh, I've been a resident of Sunnyvale for the past uh, 18 years and a business owner for the last uh, six years. So uh, it's, it's more of a comment, but before doing that, I would like to thank Mike Johnson for putting our agenda uh, uh, in front of the council uh, with all its, uh, its, its rationale. So the only thing I want to say is eventually the cost of this whole project is either going to be paid by the public, uh, the, the residents of Sunnyvale, or the business owners of Sunnyvale. And I fill both those shoes. So it'll be, it'll be, uh, it's, it's basically a request from my side is uh, just, it'll be nice to be aware well ahead of time what's going to be the impact of this, this project, which I'm, I'm all excited and supportive of uh, as, a, as a resident of Sunnyvale and also as a business owner of, uh, uh, of owning a business on downtown Murphy Avenue. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Mayor, that was the final remote participant indicating a desire to speak. Okay, I'll close the public hearing and bring it back to council for questions or a motion. Uh, first up is Vice Mayor Dean. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, I'm ready with a motion if you are, but I know I saw Councilmember Mellinger, uh, Mellinger, sorry, uh, raised his hand as well, so happy to defer. Uh, Councilmember Mellinger. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Mayor, Mr. Vice Mayor. I just had a couple quick comments before uh, we get to a motion. Uh, I want to wholeheartedly agree with uh, Mr. Beagle's comments that we should not be talking about closing Murphy Avenue. The words, we are closing Murphy Avenue, I really hope that those never are heard again because we are not closing Murphy Avenue. Murphy Avenue is open. And what we are doing by, you know, removing cars from Murphy Avenue is we are opening it up for people. We're opening it up as usable space for dining, for socializing, all these wonderful things. So let's please stop talking about closing Murphy Avenue. Um, on a more prosaic note, um, on a more prosaic note, talking about the filling in the bays, I, um, I am inclined to support that. One thing that we could do and that might make sense, and I hope staff looks at, the ramp does not need to take up the whole bay. And as I think about this, it might be problematic to have the entire bay sloped for two reasons. One, obviously, you have unlevel furniture, and yes, you can prop it up. Yes, there are adjustable feet and napkins you can shove under and so forth, but it's not ideal. And second is that if the entire bay is being used for furniture, it's not usable as an ADA ramp. And so if we have, say, an ADA ramp width-sized ramp in the bay that's very clearly not for furniture, then we've got the ADA accessibility covered and the rest of the bay can be flat and level for furniture. Um, 
So I just hope that we can consider that as we look into this. I do support the idea of adding more bike parking on Murphy Avenue. And lastly, I hope that staff can work with the Sunnyvale Downtown Association about the farmer's market. Um, so thank you very much, and I'm ready to uh, yield back my time. Thank you. Uh, next up is Councilmember Cisneros. Yeah, thank you. Um, I just have a one question that came up for me and uh, a couple comments. But first, um, so the downtown business, I mean, downtown is changing. A lot of construction, a lot of uh, things, which I think is great. Um, but the downtown businesses have really had to have been troopers in, in dealing with a lot of these changes, like the, like the dust from construction coming in uh, during the lunch hour, and that was really inconvenient, but it was a private development. So I just wanted to, to ask if, if it's possible, and, and you don't have to answer this now, but wanting to make sure that when we do these updates, especially any ADA com uh, compliance that, w that we do, to make sure that we're doing the construction um, off of, like, in off hours where they're not serving major meals. I think that I think the downtown businesses would appreciate it. So that was so that was more of a comment than a question since we're not there yet. But that's what it is. Um, and then I'd like to just say that um, you know I really uh, appreciate how much support this community is getting. It, it means a lot. It's a very special place in my heart. Not only is it my home, uh, but it's somewhere where I'm able to let my teenage daughter go and uh, hang out with her friends. I don't have to drive her, but it's independence, and it's somewhere that I've celebrated major events with families and friends, and so I just wanted to uh, thank the members of the public and staff and Downtown Business Association for making sure that we can really do this right the first time, and that's very clear with how many steps we're taking in, in council to putting that there. Um, and I wanted to also echo and just say, um, when we're thinking about bollard redesign, they'll need to be movable for safety reasons and um, cleaning concerns, but I think this could be a potential really great public art opportunity because I think our artist community could have really good ideas on how to make something that you can uh, you know, put away really quickly in, in case of emergency or needing to move it for maintenance reasons, but also something that's really beautiful because that's going to be the entrance and the exit, the first thing and the last thing people see when they use this uh, right away. So um, I'm excited to go through that process. Public art's my favorite. But um, this is really what city government's about. We're doing a, a really good thing for this community. And um, you know, this is a, the entrance to our city. Caltrain's right there. It's what people first see. And I think we're making a really good impression. So that's all. I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you, council member. Next up is council member Sell. Um, I just wanted to say that I'll be supporting staff's recommendation. I think um, this is when government and business and the community work together really well. You could see this complex issue has gained unanimity of support among all those uh, stakeholders. So um, I just think it's an excellent um, direction that we're going. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I have a question for uh, Chip, I think, uh, or the city manager. So I know as far as the, the Evelyn crosswalk and conceivably, I know there's been some changes recently as far as how the flashing lights have been taken out of the street and put at a higher level. Is there a, a long-term vision when the sidewalk, well, let's say when the center of the pedestrian zone, assuming staff, or assuming council, approves what's going, what's going on tonight and staff's recommendation, when it, en it, when it ends at the north end of, of South Murphy Avenue and meets Evelyn, uh, 
I know that there's new flashing lights being that have been put in the old the old let's say in street lights have been taken out and paved over as far as I could see is there a vision for a crosswalk a different crosswalk there or you know how because it's partially bollards it's partially you know the the big orange um pedestrian or, or car you know car barriers and how how that ultimately looks at the end of the street is kind of important how you would get to the north side of evelyn yeah and i don't think we really looked at that level right of looking at if since the crosswalk wouldn't be at the corners, it might be right down the center, let's say. We haven't gone into that level of detail, so we would need to look at that. Um, there might be some ability to retrofit what's there, but it might be costly to move those things. So we have to just look at that and see if there is the opportunity. We also have the quick build project, which is still moving forward, which is going to do some improvements to the, um, the island that's out there to try to bring out the nose, that sort of thing. So there'll be some other improvements and we can try to see if there's a way to adjust it a little bit for if this does close. Okay. I, I appreciate that. You know, I see, you know, in, indefinitely how people cross there. People are already, let's say, uh, crossing outside of that crosswalk, and now that there's no longer jaywalking issues within the state, uh, what what that actually means, and and I do think conceivably a wider crosswalk area. The north, the definitely the the south side of of um, Murphy has reasonable crosswalks because it's crossing, you know, into two separate sidewalks. Uh, but going to the north, you're ending, ending up in a T. So however you get across that street is a little more of, you know, I don't know if it's, if it's a, you know, a wider crosswalk at the end of the day, but, but conceivably something that staff should be looking at just to make sure that it feels safer for residents. So I appreciate that. That was my only question. Um, counts, uh, let's see, Vice Mayor Dean. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, I'm ready with a motion. Go right ahead. Thank you. Uh, I'd like to move alternatives one, two, three, and four. Thank you. Councilmember Cisneros. I second. To your motion. Thank you, Mayor. And um, I'll make it brief because I think a lot of my colleagues and yourself included have already expressed so much of this, but uh, I'm very happy, first of all, to see this come to council and for the work uh, that staff has done. Uh, I really echo actually the sentiment that I think Councilmember Sell first put out, uh, which is an appreciation to staff uh, for how they've engaged uh, with the business with the business community here. Uh, I think it's a, a fantastic model that uh, staff has done many times before, and uh, I'm excited to see them continue down that route uh, as we continue this, especially around the discussion with fees. Uh, I think the you know opening of, Taz, of, sorry, not Tasman, sorry, that's the next one, but of Murphy Avenue uh, to the public uh, is a vital step forward in uh, creating the kind of city that we want to see and making it more walkable and getting us uh, closer to the sort of vibrancy that we all believe in and are committed to. Uh, and this is an important step along that route. Uh, I also agree with the sentiments my colleagues have expressed uh, around a concern for ensuring that the fees uh, do not become uh, too onerous or burdensome uh, onto the business community. Uh, and so that's the, one of the big things I'd ask staff to keep in mind as they bring it back to us. Uh, but other than that, uh, I would encourage my colleagues to vote yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, next up is Councilmember Mellinger. 
Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. And I just want to say, first of all, you know, hats off to staff. This is really, this is one of the best things that this council has had the opportunity to vote on in a while. Um, this is just a fantastic improvement for the life of the city, for our businesses, for our residents, for the people who work here. Having Murphy Avenue open to pedestrians, having it open to outdoor dining has been such a boon. I will say that, you know, during that the pandemic, during 2020, being able to go, being able to have a space where I could meet up with people safely, outdoors, social distance, that was so, that was such a blessing for my mental health and I'm sure for the mental health of all of our residents. And I am so glad that we get to be moving this forward and I will be enthusiastically supporting the motion. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll be enthusiastically supporting this motion also. I first want to thank staff for all the hard work. You know, there's been lots of outreach over the last two years on first how to uh, basically close this as a, into a, make it a pedestrian mall, and then figuring out, you know, following council's direction, uh, figuring out how to make it a personally or permanently a, a pedestrian zone, which I think is critical. You know, and it's taken a lot of outreach within the business community, within the residents. Uh, you know, this is conceivably one of the positive things that's come out of COVID. You know, it's been a hard three years, but, but as former Mayor uh, Melinda Hamilton said, you know, this comes up every three to five years from a council standpoint. And finally, you know, let's say we're, we're tonight we're going to move this across the goal line. Uh, you know, I appreciate uh, the concept of making it a pedestrian zone. It's been talked about, you know, for my entire time here in Sunnyvale. Why haven't we, why isn't this happening? And it would always take a certain minority to, to basically fight back and, and say this isn't a great idea. Well, you know, the good thing about doing polling, doing that outreach, we see that the ma vast majority of residents and businesses are in favor of this. And so, you know, ultimately, this is not closing, you know, Murphy Avenue. The, ult this ultimately is opening it as a pedestrian zone, opening it as a pedestrian mall that, that future generations will come to downtown to, to enjoy outdoor seating, outdoor dining, uh, and just the the outdoor music that the downtown association puts on every year, you know this is this is a gem of Sunnyvale, and I'm happy that that council conceivably unanimously, unanimously tonight approves that. Uh, that being said, I do think that that you know I'm looking forward to what happens in June from a fee standpoint and making sure that that this is as equitable as as possible, you know. Uh, for the downtown businesses to make sure that they can incur part of that, but it's 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 fair and especially um, in these difficult times as we conceivably affect their businesses with uh, in, uh, in adding the options, adding that bay conversion. So I do think that parking bay conversion will affect those businesses. So you know, conceivably, whatever we do, making sure that that. You know, we're not incurring too much of the of the finances on them. Uh, you know, we, you've heard the comments about bike parking. You heard the comments about, you know, creating a clear pedestrian zone down the center of the street. I think all those make that feel 
much more, you know, much more viable, you know, whether or not you're biking there, whether or not you're walking through, through that area, all that makes that, that feel a lot better. Uh, I'm hoping that, you know, the look and feel of, of changing the, those pedestrian or the, those parking zones uh, does, uh, from a look, look and feel standpoint, uh, as you're looking down the street, look viable and I'm hoping that conceivably they're also usable so hopefully that the slope isn't that bad uh, but but at the end of the day what we're doing here is is creating you know new a, a new vision for the downtown at least for historic Murphy Avenue and and I think you know this ultimately will be you know a positive influence I've looked at other cities that are still trying to figure it out and I and I applaud staff for getting this very close to the to the end line you know we still have lots of issues as far as implementing what what conceivably is approved tonight but but i think you know we're, we're a lot closer than we ever have been before and to me this is the gem of sunnyvale this is the heart of sunnyvale and you know creating a historic murphy avenue that's now a permanent pedestrian zone is something that this council can can um look back on many years to come on a great accomplishment for the city. So so I, I, I encourage all of my council members to also vote yes. And with that, City Clerk, can you please conduct a roll call vote? Yes, Mr. Mayor. First up, Mayor Klein, how do you vote? Absolutely yes. Council Member Mellinger? Enthusiastically yes. Council Member Cisneros? Enthusiasm to infinity, yes. <laughs> Vice Mayor Dean? Yes. Council Member Srinivasan? Solid S. Council Member Melton? Yes. Council Member Sell? Uh, yes, definitely. The motion carries 7 0. Thank you very much. And let's go ahead and take an eight minute break and come back at 9 20. Thank you very much.
It's 9.20, so let's go ahead and reconvene. Our next item is item 23-0001, update on the temporary eastbound Tasman Lane closure and consideration to extend closure duration. Is there a staff report? Manager, I'll be giving the staff presentation on this item today. So, um, okay, so Tasman Drive in its current configuration is a four-lane industrial commercial collector street. Uh, runs from Sunnyvale through Santa Clara, uh, San Jose, and then into Milpitas. And then uh, serves a variety of land uses along there. And then in the 90s, the VTA light rail line was designed and constructed. As part of that, some tough decisions were made and on regarding sidewalks and bike lanes. Uh, in order to minimize the number of trees that were taken down and uh, impacts to mobile home park backyards, uh, VTA and the city decided to construct sidewalks as much as possible, but then at certain points where it became infeasible, where homes would have to be bought or uh, large trees taken down, um, it wasn't done. So as a result, now you see Tasman Drive as it is right now with, um, there's about a 1600 foot uh, sidewalk length that is missing, uh, running from approximately um, 800 feet east of Tasman Court to Vienna Drive on the south side and then uh, no, no existing bicycle facilities. Um, and then on, right in front of you is a map of Tasman Drive. As you can see, there are uh, mobile home parks to the north, uh, Casa de Amigos, on the south is Plaza del Rey, and then on the left-hand corner is El Camino, El Dorado mobile homes. And then to the north um, western corner, is a mixed-use shopping center with a grocery store. And then the red clouded box shows the um, temporary traffic control area. And then the green area shows the bike and ped pathway that was installed, running from Tasman Court to Vienna Drive. Um, to give you a little bit of history, um, this in June of 2020, uh, City Council decided to temporarily close Tasman Drive uh, to create a temporary pathway during the COVID-19 pandemic. And then 12 months later, it was brought back before Council in August 2021, where we added in a threshold of 720 vehicles per hour as, um, as a criteria when we're looking at whether or not to restore the travel lane. This was done um, as, as a result of considering LOSC were the maximum throughput of the number of cars on there. Um, and then just at that point, we staff figured that we would need to go back to a second lane if it ever reached that level. And then here's some data from our data collection from 2020 all the way through um, end of November last year. Uh, what this is showing the average daily traffic on Tasman Drive, um, where as of November, the volume reached, 80 t average daily volume was at 4,370. Approximately 55% of 
the volume that Tasman Drive was carrying at that time in 2015. So as you can see, we're still fairly low uh, when comparatively to pre-pandemic times. Um, actually, going back, um, I forgot to mention that, as you can see, the trend line for the ADT is actually increasing slowly. If you look from 2020 all the way to November of last year, uh, it's an upward line. It's not drastically going up. It's increasing about 1% every month. Now I'll talk about the um, peak hour traffic conditions. So during that same period, we monitored um, peak hour traffic during the along eastbound Tasman. Uh, what you see in red is the 720 peak hour vehicles per hour threshold. And then the blue line is the AM peak hour period, and the green line is the PM peak hour period. What we noticed was in 2020, uh, the peak hours were actually shifted. They weren't your normal commute times. And then that was because people weren't working at, in the offices, everybody was at home sheltering in place. And then the trips that we were seeing was basically in the AM was around 10 AM to 11, 11 AM. And then in the afternoon, it was shifted a little bit earlier because people were out doing grocery shopping, running errands. Um, in 2021 and 2022, we started seeing things change. Uh, peak hour traffic started coming back as people started to return back to work. Um, in the afternoon, it, in the morning, it shifted to 7.30 a.m. to 8.30 a.m. And then in the p.m., it shifted back to 5 to 6 p.m., your normal peak hour traffic on the roadways. So more indicative of people going back to work and commuting to work in the morning and then back home in, in the evening. Uh, what you can also see in the trend line is that these volumes, the volumes are actually increasing also, more than the ADT. So in the p.m. peak, that's the greater, the greater increases. We're seeing that that's increasing by 1.5 to 2%. Um, and then that, it, what we're concerned about is that right now, not all the companies are back at work. Uh, many companies are still working from home. You have the large companies, Apple, Google, that have kind of a hybrid policy where some, they encourage employees to come in part-time uh, for a few days out of the week. Uh, from my discussions with them and reading in the newspaper, companies are eventually planning on fully returning back to the office. Now, uh, during this time, during this period, the last two years, we've received lots of community feedback through emails, CRMs, phone calls, and then discussions with the people as public as we're out there monitoring. Uh, we've received comments uh, in support and also um, in request, and then also requesting us to remove the temporary lane closure. A uh, lot of the major points about for making it permanent is that Citizens like it with slower traffic because now you only have one lane of vehicle flow. Um, they have the connection to the shopping center, and then you have a bicycle and pedestrian, a safe area for people to bike in two directions. Uh, some of the things that we've heard from residents who are saying, for asking us to remove it, is that uh, they're seeing increasing traffic volumes and they feel that emergency vehicle response times are being impacted. So 
um, during this time period, during the last few years, staff has been observing it and, and talking to people. Uh, part of our observations that we told city council we'd be looking at is vehicle queuing, looking at delays, congestion at the intersections, and any safety problems. Uh, just to summarize some of the things that we've seen, we, be, uh, because of the low volume, uh, traffic has not, we're not seeing queuing problems at the Vienna intersection. Uh, the amount of traffic that gets to the intersection on a red light, they all clear on the next subsequent green light. There's no queue failures, cycle failures, where cars have to wait multiple cycles. Uh, speeds, vehicles are going a little bit slower now because there isn't two travel lanes. Uh, natural traffic, part of the benefit of traffic calming. And then um, safety, we haven't seen any safety issues. Um, as far as emergency response and access, we've actually coordinated with our Department of Public Safety, talked to their staff, and right now they have no issues with any delays. Uh, there are multiple access routes going into the mobile home parks. They could come from Lawrence Expressway. There's Persian for back road access, and then there's other driveways coming in. Uh, but at the same time, acknowledging this may change if traffic returns back to true pre-pandemic situations. So now I'll talk a little bit about the funding and the maintenance. Um, we have a CIP project that funds the maintenance of, of the lane closure. Uh, in 2021, when we came to City Council, we had an estimate of needing 3000 about $3,200 every month in order to maintain the, the temporary closure, uh, repair anything that goes wrong, pay for the rental of the ramps and the, uh, the arrow board that's out there. During the last year, we've actually seen some pretty good ex first-hand experience with it, and we approached the contractor and, decide, and then talked to him about changing some things around. So as a result, we were able to stretch our dollars a little bit farther. So now um, the project was due to run out of money in the uh, October timeframe, but now we're able to continue carry the closure, temporary lane closure, till June of this year. Um, and what we're finding is that now we're spending about $1,300 every month on maintenance. And then if city council decides to extend the duration beyond the June 2013 date, um, we just ask that if you just uh, appropriate $1,300 per month for the duration that you want to extend that to. Um, and then, so I wanted to give you an update on the study issue also that's running concurrently to this. Um, it's study issue DPW 21-03. And it's studying Tasman Drive from Fair Oaks to Lawrence Expressway. How can we put in a pedestrian and bicycle facility? Uh, currently, we're in the process of interviewing and reviewing consultant proposals. So we anticipate that a consultant will be on staff in March and under contract, and we'll actually start working with them directly in that sense. Uh, the anticipated completion date is December 2024. Um, if we finish early, we're going to try to finish early as like any, everything else, but that's the date that we have right now for completion. So staff's recommendation at this point is alternative one, extend the duration of the temporary eastbound Tasman Avenue lane closure till June 30, 
2023 subject and then maintaining the subject to previously identified traffic volumes, congestion, and safety triggers that were established in 2021 and prior. Um, and with that, uh, staff, I'm available to answer any questions. Thank you very much. Uh, first up is Vice Mayor Dean. Thank you so much, Mayor, and uh, thank you to staff for the presentation and for the work. Uh, my first question is, and you just touched upon it a little bit, uh, what happens during that interim period between, uh, if we send this to June, uh, from June until December when uh, the study issue is anticipated to be completed? If, um, if council selected to alternative one and extending it to June only, what would happen is in June, if the, if sometime during the period, if the thresholds are met, we would remove the, the temporary closures. So if traffic volume fully came back and we saw that there was a demand and congestion started building up, we would remove the closure. Uh, but if it came to June, we would, we would probably consult with the city manager and to the mayor again, see if we wanted to extend it again. Uh, if it was decided to extend to December of 2024, we would probably likely have a similar discussion. Uh, December is when we're anticipating coming to City Council with the results of our study and um, trying to get a decision from City Council on if we're going to implement anything and then appropriating, getting, um, it'll be subject to CIP design funding and construction funding if we move forward into some sort of construction measure. And then there would likely be some sort of time frame about a year, year and a half, where we'd have to design the project and then construct everything. Okay, thank you very much. I, the information is very helpful. Sure. Uh, and then my next question, and I know that uh, the response to this was already in the 8 a.m. questions, but I just think it's worth uh, saying for the sake of the public. Uh, what uh, is the dollar figure in total uh, if that would have to be paid if we decided to extend it until December of 2024? It would be $1,300 times that by 18 months, which comes out to roughly $38,400. Thank you. Uh, and those were all my questions. Thank you. For, oh, actually, sorry, just one final comment, uh, which is I would like to, I'm just going to put this out there now because I'd be interested in hearing from my colleagues. Uh, but on top of that, uh, I'm saying this because I'm really curious to hear from the public. I know there's a lot of engagement on this issue, and I know I've, re I've uh, received information and, you know, thoughts and everything and emails uh, from a lot of my residents on it. But uh, I would be interested in seeing this extended until December of 2024. Uh, and so to the public, during public comment, I would love to hear your thoughts on that as well. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Mayor. Next up is Councilmember Melton. Yeah, thanks, Mayor Klein. Um, Dennis, great presentation. Really appreciate it. Um, um, can you um, help me remember where the um, 720 vehicles per hour threshold came from and why that's important? Sure. Um, 720 vehicles per hour. It, we started off with um, using our level of service criteria for the city that we evaluate capacity and congestion levels. Um, LOS going from the worst number uh, transitioning from LOSC to D, acceptable to unacceptable, is um, 800 vehicles per hour at that point. 
Um, so we backed out 10% to get to the 720 vehicles per hour. And then so um, our determination was that when, it trans when we get to that point, we, wouldn't be a we wanted to give ourselves a little bit of buffer so that if traffic volumes were increasing very quickly, we would be able to react, pull out the closures, and then restore the lanes so that um, we wouldn't have long backups and queues. Because then at LOSD, you would start seeing uh, longer queues, cycle failures, and then also probably people driving a little erratically because they would be, it would start leading into unreliable travel times and they'd want to look for a quicker way to get around. Yeah, you, um, I appreciate your words because you predicted my next question, which is, you know, what, what does this roadway look like if companies start bringing their employees back to work? If we're at 720, 730, what, what, what does that actually look like? And I heard you say, you know, cycle failures, mm -hmm. erratic driving, um, and other things. Correct. Okay. Um, uh, another question before I just um, toss out an, an idea, and I appreciate um, Vice Mayor Dean's leadership and sort of ideation here. Have we had any issues, Dennis, to your knowledge about um, any of the barrels or um, temporary measures just being knocked out by drivers, whether intentionally or unintentionally? I mean, what's, what does the maintenance history look like? So that does happen periodically. Um, it's actually been fairly good so far because we actually went through and designed it. We took a lot of effort in designing this and then making sure that uh, people can see the arrow boards, they can see, they can react to everything. Um, so there has been, a, I think, about three instances where we've had to go out there and replace channelizers. Um, it's a fairly simple effort. They're made for construction, so then in the roadway construction, they tend to be out there longer and they get hit quite a lot. Okay. Um, and then, um, you know, the original implementation mm -hmm. uh, was temporary, right? It was built to be temporary and we've extended it once and I could imagine that we'll extend it again based on our conversation tonight. Um, in your professional estimation, this equipment is built to last all the way to December 2024? Um, the ADA ramp, the temporary ADA ramp that we have is built out of steel, so there's no thought, we're, we're not worried about that falling apart. The arrow board, uh, we have the maintenance, con the contractor come out, recharge it, do their maintenance on it to make sure everything's visible, all the indications are, aren't burned out or anything. The channelizers themselves, after time, they are going to start show wear and tear, but that's why we have... Um, some funding set aside as part of it so that we can pay for them to come out, replace the ones that are, that get damaged or start looking where, worn out in that sense. Okay. Well, clearly this is all very well thought through and I really appreciate the professional leadership and public works and all of this from the very beginning to where we are today. Really well done. You know, just to augment um, the thought that I heard from Vice Mayor Dean about December 2024, I'll just ruminate for the benefit of our members of the public. I'm, I, I feel like I could be on board with that, and the augmentation I would make is I, I feel that we need to keep the 720 number um, just for the exact reasons that um, we heard Dennis talking about is the contemplatable negative consequences of having the temporary lane closure in place if 
the reality of the world that we live in brings us over 720. So I've, I've, I'd love to hear from members of the public. I'm feeling good about December 2024, but we still need that removal trigger, I'm thinking. Um, if we um, are in excess of 720 vehicles per hour threshold. Just my thoughts for now. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember. Next up is Councilmember Sell. So thank you, staff, for working on this um, and listening to the community and working on this and, and the council. So it seems phenomenal that um, at the P at 2015, pre-COVID, they were on the order of uh, 7,800 um, vehicles. And now, um, two years later, there's um, uh, around 4,500. Um, so that's like close to almost half the number of car trips. So um, it could be that a lot of people, more people, are walking and biking. Um, there's about 10,000 residents that probably live in North Sunnyvale in that area. So would it make sense to kind of estimate the increased number, I mean, the traffic of the pedestrians and the um, bikers so that we know, oh, that could have been like cars and now there's no cars uh, because they're biking or walking. Is that like? Um. Yes, well, it's, we actually, it's actually more than an estimate that we, I can provide you. Um, in, starting in 2020, we actually started, as part of our vehicle counts, we actually counted the pedestrians and the bicyclists. So what I, I don't have the data in front of me, but what I remember is that we saw it was a steady increase. Um, the peak was somewhere in... July to October of last year, um, pedestrian counts, it was probably about 30, 30 pedestrians on a weekday, and then um, 35, well, high 30s on the weekday, low 30s on the weekend. For bicyclists, it's been averaging about 20 uh, weekday or weekend. Um, as of the November timeframe, because what I, what my theory is that because of the rainy season, the colder, longer, longer, darker hours, the number of pedestrians and bicyclists have been steadily declining, to the point now that it's probably on the weekends about 15 pedestrians, I think, and then on the weekday we're down to about 20 on a weekday. Mm -hmm. uh, as I said, bicyclists are still holding steady at 20. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks. And if you consider like less greenhouse gas emissions, healthier lifestyle, and um, if we're able to get you know more people off the road, then that's beneficial. So um, I guess that's all my questions. So um, yeah. Sure. Thank you, Councilmember. Next up is Councilmember Cisneros. Yeah, thank you very much, and thank you for the presentation. I know this is an important issue to many in our community on both sides. So I'm glad that we're um, doing this as fast as we can, and I'm, I'm heartened to hear that you're trying to expedite it and get it even sooner, and I support you in those endeavors. Um, I have a couple questions. Um, so the line showing traffic increases on that graph was a lot flatter than I thought it would be. 
uh, before I saw this, I, I thought it would be a much uh, steeper climb. But in looking at it, something popped out to me. What happened in May of 2020 to spike the PM commute that much? Because it feels like a very specific outlier, if you know what it is. I'm just so curious. No, actually, I don't know what happened on that day. It could have been a whole host of uh, different things. Google may have had some sort of event at their campus, or there could have been an incident somewhere that caused a lot of diversion. But that's why we had the trend line on, on all the graphs, so you could kind of see where the average of everything and how's it, how's it flowing and increasing slowly. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, it, mu it must have been something like that. I was just wondering, because those outliers are so interesting, mm -hmm. and but it doesn't do a trend. So when I was averaging it out in my head, I, I wasn't <laughs> including that. I had to go. Um, so if we were to choose to keep the pedestrian lane open until we hear the results of the study in December, the closure would still be subject to the traffic volume and safety triggers, right? Yes, that's what oh. we're recommending. Okay, okay. So, but it doesn't matter whether it's June or December. Correct. Okay, uh, that's important. So, um, and then here, here's a statistic. I'm glad Councilmember Sell brought up the, the number of people who utilize this infrastructure as it, as it is now. Um, but I'd love to know how many traffic fatalities or, or injuries um, were before we put the closure in and after, because that would be another important data point. You don't need to have it now, just um, in the future for, for that. Um, that would be an important thing to consider because we have a lot of policies, ATP and Vision Zero, that indicate that we should um, pay attention to the impact of our decisions there. Um, and then, um, here's a question. So with permanent lane closures, it, it mentioned mm -hmm. you know, safety response times, um, ability to potentially utilize that lane in some instances have come up from the community as, as being, like not being able to use that for safety uh, response times is a concern. So the barriers we have now, we can move them. Uh, or if a car hits them, uh, like Councilmember Melton mentioned, you know, they, it, it's not as much damage to anyone, hopefully. Um, if we, if and when we decide to open or keep the bike ped lane open, would we, would council have an option of either a movable barrier like we have now, or would it have to be a concrete uh, barrier like we see in some divides? Um, I, for I, I kind of worry if someone's if someone's going to drive into the channelizer area just because there could be a pedestrian walking in there, and then they may not react in time if someone's doing that. I mean, yes, public safety will likely, if they're responding to an emergency, they'll go in with lights and sirens and you'll see and hear them coming. But, um, but if we, when we do the permanent, it would likely be all in concrete, uh, just so that everything is safe. Uh, I've heard comments from our Bicycle Pedestrian Advisory Commission and members of the public about wanting protected facilities. That'll be part of the study issue, and we'll, there have to be probably some deep discussions and thought process about if we can obtain that. Just because it's, it is a constrained roadway, if we start talking about, oh, we can maybe widen the road, we'll be talking about taking down some trees or going into the same discussion that VTA and the city had in the 90s. Uh, we can narrow down the roadway to the absolute minimum that, um, that VTA will operate a bus on. Uh, which is 11 feet, but then that becomes problematic. If we go down to 10, then I'd say buses will have problems and DPS may have problems with their vehicle, with their fire apparatus. Okay, okay, that, that's really helpful to know as, as I'm kind of thinking ahead and, and also trying to put 
points, uh, a data points in my own head, like diff what can we change, what can't we change, and so that's important mm -hmm. to me to think about now, and, and as well as that being part of that future discussion. So as of right now, I, I'm thinking about a, waiting for the study, but I, I look forward to hearing from my colleagues in the public, um, just seeing as it's still going by the same rules as the June deadline, um, and giving opportunity for a full public hearing on what we finally decide to do. But thank you for this. I think, I think it's been a wonderful thing in our community, and want to see how we can incorporate that safe infrastructure in wherever we can. So thank you very much. Thank you, Councilmember. Next up is Councilmember Mellinger. Thank you very much. Uh, good to see you again, Mr. Ng. Um, so, couple questions. I hate to correct your math on the dais, but uh, thir I double checked. Thirteen by eight, thirteen hundred by eighteen is around twenty-three four hundred, not thirty-eight four hundred, unless we're building an extra padding for maintenance. Does that sound right? If you ran over the calculator, that was that was my quick estimate. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I did read it out of the calculator, so <laughs> just making sure that we're if yeah. we do the December thing that we're appropriating the right uh, amount. Sure. Um, where would the money ideally come from? Which fund would we use for that if we were to do that? This might be more of a question for Kent. Um, it would come from the street operations budget, which is funded by the general fund and gas tax funds. All right. Thank you. Um, I'm going to apologize. Could I ask you to restate those recent cyclist and pedestrian numbers? Uh, <laughs> um, 15 to 15 cyclists, or 15, uh, 20 cyclists and 15. Cyclists have been, bicyclists have been averaging 20 consistently throughout the whole period. Per hour, per day? Uh, per day. Per day. Per day. And then uh, pedestrians... They're starting to decrease now. The high was um, in the third, high 30s on the weekday, mid to low 30s on the weekend. But recently, with the colder weather, it's been dropping um, to about, I'll say, 15 on the weekend on average, and uh, probably about 20s in the 20s on the weekdays. All right. Um, will the study issue be considering permanent uh, lane closures, so taking Tasman Drive down to, you know, one lane on either side? You know, you mentioned the, the right-of-way constraints. Yes. Will, will that be an option within the study issue? Yes, that's what we're envisioning, that that's one of the options. Okay. Um, and I believe that about does it for me. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember. Uh, next up is Councilmember Srinivasan. Thank you very much. A great presentation. I really appreciate this. Uh, the biggest uh, take away from this is the safety of pedestrian and bicyclist. Really, really uh, interesting stuff. And this is the absolute necessary thing to do. Uh, the question I have is, you mentioned uh, 20 bicyclists and 30 pedestrians per day. So from an efficiency point of view, should we, can we allocate some portion, uh, not necessarily the entire lane for that? Is there a possibility to do, do that? Um, for the city, we'd be constrained by ADA and federal and state regulations for widths of sidewalks and widths of bike lanes. If we're talking about protected facilities, they get actually even wider. Um, okay. So it becomes like 
I think uh, minimum at a minimum for protective facilities, it needs to be three feet wide for the median island or the physical barrier. Uh, when you factor that in with a six-foot bike lane, it becomes a nine-foot bike facility then. And then how wide of a, bike, of a sidewalk do we want combined with that? It, then you start, then it becomes like, okay, readily available, readily seeable that yes, then a 12-foot vehicle lane or a 13-foot vehicle lane won't cover that. Okay. The reason why I am asking is uh, for the emergency vehicle response, let's say that we are at uh, 720 vehicles per hour, per uh, uh, hour threshold. And then if there is an emergency, if there is a protected bike lane, then we the emergency response time will go up. Do you agree or? Uh... Correct, yeah, that's, that's logical. Right, so that's why I'm trying to find out: is there a way to uh, some kind of a wiggle room somewhere so that the emergency uh, response time, at the same time, safety of other citizens also residents are also very very important. So, uh, uh, the, I also uh, like the idea of uh, <coughs> uh, the calculation of the number itself doesn't. Uh, worry too much about $1,300 a month or something like that uh, because safety is far more important. And then uh, some way of addressing the emergency issue, emergency vehicle response is the, uh, uh, that's what I would like to see. Okay, those are my questions. Thank you very much. Thank you, Council Member. Um, I had one or two questions. So first, thank you for the presentation. <clears throat> I really look forward to finalizing the study issue and, and having that come back to us. I think, you know, we're, um, we're kind of in between right now. So asking questions of that really isn't why we're here tonight. What I do have questions, though, about is um, special game days, special events at the at Levi's Stadium and how that conceivably affects this corridor and whether or not you know, whether or not the counts that you're doing uh, deal with that, those numbers. Because I know traffic flow, it, it changes dramatically on game days. So, yeah. so wondering how staff is monitoring that specifically and conceivably uh, with some of the things that have happened in Santa Clara, uh, at least what I've heard, what I've read in the Merck is there's going to be more game days or more events over the next year and a half or so. So I'll answer that as uh, the traffic engineer that helped design all the traffic patterns in Santa Clara as part of Levi Stadium. Okay. Um, on the inbound for NFL games, um, people and fans normally arrive four to five hours before. They're all spread out. So really you don't see too much of a traffic impact on the roadway except if they come early and want to tailgate before the parking lot's open. Then you start seeing the queues and the congestion everywhere. On the after the game, the traffic pattern that's implemented on Tasman Drive is that the parking lots that come out of the five parking lots on the west side of the Levi Stadium, uh, they have options to go either north onto Great America Parkway to 237, and Santa Clara runs, um, they convert all the Great America lanes to outbound. So you have six lanes, eight lanes of traffic going out. On Tasman, they funnel everybody that wants to go westbound from 
Levi Stadium, westbound attachment to Lawrence Expressway. At Lawrence Expressway, they're told to go north or south, to go to 237 or to 101. So the idea, the whole premise of the stadium egress is that they're going to get you to the freeway as quickly as possible. And then on the freeways, you have lots of on-ramps and off-ramps and connections at different freeways that will get you home. So uh, there shouldn't be any impacts in that sense on game day events. Okay, that that's fantastic. And I, I was wondering, you know, and it was mainly ingress in, in the morning, you know, because egress, we haven't affected the, the westbound lanes at all. And so conceivably, whatever we're doing, whatever, whatever capacity is there um, and would be handled or, you know, it's, it doesn't affect a reason why we would look at traffic counts of closing, you know, the, the eastbound lane. So, so it was just more of an, of an ingress, I'll call it, uh, to those game days. So, so good to hear that that's not an issue. Um, I thank um, Councilmember Mellinger for, for talking about the, the funding. So uh, that was all of my questions. Uh, next up is Councilmember Cisneros. Yeah, thank you. Um, and just one more question. So uh, data is so important in, uh, in discussing any of this. That's kind of what's going to help us make the decisions. And so then I thought of, well, how is the data collected? Because I think I heard you say um, when I mentioned the spike mm -hmm. that that spike was, you know, one day's worth of traffic was responsible. It was like an event. It was a one-off. Um, so how is the, if, is that true? Is it collected like with a small sample within a month or within a time frame? And how is bike ped traffic collected and is it different? So our traffic counters that we're deploying right now are all video based. Uh, you'll prob you've probably seen them around the city. There's uh, a fisheye camera that's mounted on a mast. It's raised up about 20 feet, 15, 20 feet up, strapped to a pole. And then it collects video images on a time lapse. And then what happens is it gets processed by, I'll say, an engineer or a, play, a person that's just watching a video camera and a video screen and just counting the number of cars, the number of pedestrians, the number of bicycles. And is that done every day, or how often does um, that, that we, um, very sure. brave individual go sit and watch? <laughs> we do that over a period of one week. So that's how we get the weekend and the weekday, and then it's all averaged out. Okay, so one week out of the month. Is, is that the, the scale that we're talking about? Um, it really depends. There's some, been some months where we do data collection twice. If we think that traffic patterns are changing, we might send the contractor out a second time. So that's what happened in the winter. We collected twice, beginning of November, end of November. Okay. It's interesting because I think that... Um, you know, the reasons why people are traveling are very different depending on the mode of transportation they're taking. Probably not doing a lot of bike ped to work because you're not going to have a bike lane all the way. Um, it's going to get tricky once you get out of the area. And so I would think it would be more recreational or errand running based. So I'm just thinking like how, how we can maybe capture that, that variable because it's not as predictable. It, that's, that's kind of a tough thing to, mm -hmm. to crack. Um, we are working on different technologies as a region about origins and destinations. Uh, but what, what I'm seeing from the data is that it's fairly consistent because it's the 20, 20 average, 20 bicyclists, whether it's a weekday or a weekend. And then it hasn't changed um, over the whole two-year process that we've been through so far. So it will be interesting at least on the bicycling side, if we extend it longer to see if the numbers change when the weather gets better and then, or if it stays exactly where it is. 
but there are, um, as far as bicycles, I, I mean, there's the different kinds of people. There's the, the hardcore commuters that will that will bicycle long distances. They'll go from Fremont to Mountain View, and then they'll use the Bay Trail. They'll use all the bypasses, and then there are people that will use when we construct um, the East Channel. They're going to use that to go long distances. Not all recreation. Yeah. Uh yeah, and I agree. And I, I think that's a pretty small minority of, of cyclists. But, yeah, those paths make a lot more sense. This isn't as easy. Mm -hmm. But um, I guess, yeah, it's just hard. It's hard to collect that data. And uh, it would be interesting to know how much it changes, especially with pedestrians, because they're not going very fast. It's probably more affected by rain, how that changes between um, warm and colder weather. And we are becoming a warmer climate, for better or worse probably worse. So um, that was my only question. Data is really interesting. And uh, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Councilmember. Next up is Councilmember Mellinger. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. Just a couple of comments. I think I heard someone ask about numbers of uh, serious crashes. Um, I do know, and I've looked this up, that um, apparently at September 26th on 2020, there was a serious crash involving a 90-year-old and a 12-year-old pedestrian, and the 90-year-old woman regrettably succumbed from her injuries. Um, so there has been at least one fatal crash on Tasman Drive in recent years. Um, what I, the other thing I will say, uh, through the mayor, council member Srinivasan brought up some questions about, you know, how can we most effectively use the right of way. I don't want to get too in, too into that since that is for a future study issue, but there are options such as a mixed use class one trail that might be able to more efficiently use the space. Uh, and with that, I believe that does it for my questions and comments. Thank you. Uh, Council Member Sell. So um, back to the data. I think um, how many pedestrians did you say we had a day and how many bikers do you say that we had a day? So bicyclists, once again, is an average, consistent average of 20 bicyclists a day, whether it's weekdays or weekends. Mm -hmm. uh, pedestrians, what we're seeing is that from the beginning, it was started off low and it started ramping up the high number that we saw was the high 30s in the Ju July through October of last year time period. Um, and then what happened was on during the November collections, we saw that the numbers uh, from October through the first November collection through the second started dramatically coming down um, to about, um, what was it? It was the high 20s on the the week weekday and then about 15 on a week and day okay so um, I just think it would be useful um, if, if it was possible since you have someone counting that it might be useful like to also have a graph that says pedestrian and bikers like you have per month like how many cars and then so along with your study might be useful in a future um, uh, in your study to have pedestrian bikes so we, we kind of know but if you add up the pedestrian and the bikes let's say pedestrian roughly 20 um, pedestrians and roughly 20 bikes per day and so that's like 40 bikes and pedestrians and then you multiply that by 
30, then, uh, you know, that's a lot. That's, that's 40 times 30. Um, so that over a thousand, like, is that right? Am I doing like 30 days times 40 is 1,200. So that's a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, if we did not have this, um, this uh, facility where people can walk and bike safely, then that could possibly be 1,200 more cars on the road, possibly. So, um, you know, this is, this is a feat that we were able to uh, accomplish, which is our striving for walkable and bikeable Sunnyvale. So I think um, this is great. Uh, so having that data to support that, you know, there's a lot of people walking, there's a lot of people walking, uh, helps with us making our decision. So just wanted to th thank you for the thoroughness in this data and bringing it to us. And um, just thank you to staff for all their work on this. Thank you, Councilmember Sell. Next up is Councilmember Srinivasan. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I really appreciated the way you counted the bicyclist and the pedestrian because I was wondering as an engineer how you would do that. Uh, but the question I have is, uh, I am assuming the pedestrian are mainly to do shopping and other uh, things. Uh, are there any offices or anything nearby or on this stretch? Um, we're just on the outside of Moffitt Park specific plan area. So if you go to the intersection of Fair Oaks and Tasman, there are office buildings in that vicinity. Uh, there are industrial uses to the north. Um, if you cross Lawrence Expressway on the other side. Okay, got it. Um, okay. So basically we can assume that they are, it's, it's mixed use for uh, both pedestrian and bicyclists. Right. Sure. In, that in terms of it's not just recreational or grocery shopping or something like that. They will use it for office uh, going to work and other things. Right. I, don't, I wouldn't know for certain, but that would uh, that would be a lot. Uh, I would agree with that. Yes. OK. Those are my questions. Thank you very much. Thanks for doing an excellent job. This is very good. Thank you. Thank you, Council Member. And that was the last question from Council. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you. Uh, I'll open the public hearing. Members of the public wishing to address Council, please submit a speaker card uh, if you're in person or use your, raise your digital hand or dial star nine on your telephone if you uh, wish to speak to Council. I'll call on the members of the public part participating in person first, and then the City Clerk will ask those remotely to speak if, when it's their turn to address City Council. Uh, speakers will have three minutes to speak. For members in person, uh, of course, uh, please fill out a speaker card. Uh, and my, I have two speaker cards so far. First up is Jason Finesmith, followed by Elena Finesmith. Uh, you have a presentation I sent up, so if you could put that up, please. The rest of the Great. All right, I'm Jason Finesmith. I want to start with a story. I was um, about to head out from Casa de Amigos, where I live, and I heard this big boom. And I went out across the street, um, up where the, um, the closer to Fair Oaks, 
this beautiful red Corvette, brand new, had come around. This was before the traffic lane, when there were two lanes, before the, the lane extension that we have now. Um, and this Corvette had come in, it kind of f slid and it hit and it did a full 360, rammed into a tree and totaled and it was this beautiful two-week-old red shiny Corvette. I talked to the driver, he was almost, he was shocked, he was alive. Now had I been a minute earlier walking on that path, I would have been killed. I would have been killed. Now um, I want to talk about why I want to extend the lane closure uh, to the end of the Tasman study, to the end of 2024, and um, these are a few pictures of what it looks like for people who are not familiar with the road. You can sort of see, you know, some of these things. You can see those uh, red, um, whatever turn salt, what are the, the barriers? I've seen emergency vehicles when they need to have actually I saw a police car actually pull into there when there was a homeless guy in there. It's never been a problem from what I've seen. If you go to the next slide, okay, three reasons. Number one. There is absolutely no need for these uh, two lanes um, from the numbers, and I'll show you. It's blatantly obvious. Number two, happiness. The residents need it. it, it it's a good thing, and I'll tell you why. Um, and safety, which I think is really the predominant uh, factor in all this. Um, this picture here I took during rush hour about 5.15 p.m. in a weekday. Uh, is counting through the light cycles to see, do the cars back up? There's about 20 car lengths there before you actually hit that single lane. Um, and in five cycles, there were zero cars backed up in the red light, one car, two cars, two cars, and another way it was two cars, it just became four cars, but the light turned green, so they didn't actually stop. So like almost no backups in rush hour, this was a month and a half ago. Um, let's go to the next slide. Let's talk about the numbers that uh, they shared in the exhibit. This is the same exhibit. Um, I don't think we're gonna see 720 cars ever. I could be wrong, but what I believe we've seen, I think we all realize it, we have hit a new normal post-pandemic. Companies are not, people are working flexibly from home. Um, the big you know, employer in the area, Google, they're doing a three day per week. Um, you know, and, and even since that uh, left hand side, that circle, to now you trace that line, um, you can see it's not gonna hit until actually 2027 December. So I think, we, <laughs> you know, and the big increase has happened already because of the, the return to office. We've hit 60% three days per week. We only have two days per week left to even go to full time. I'm not hearing that's happening anytime soon. Next slide, the lane closure. It's a crucial connector for pedestrians. Um, I do not believe those numbers, about 20 and 30 pedestrians and bikers per day, because they don't catch me when I commute to Google. Um, can I have 15 more seconds, please? Sir, just okay. wrap up. Uh, wrap up here. Um, people need it. I just can't see how those numbers could be real, because I always pass people when I walk on there. Lastly, safety. Next slide yeah. is when you have thank, 49ers, thank, there's thank you, peaks Jason. of walkers, thank and you. Um, that's when the, the real that's safety fine. hits. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, next up is Elena Finesmith. Honorable Mayor, City Council, and staff. So tonight I'm speaking here on behalf of all parents, moms, and people who have children in the area. We need this lane closure and we need it open so that kids can safely get to the all, uh, to, to school, to the supermarket, to all these different other places. The lane closure actually has two pieces to it. One part where we look at, and from, at least from where I come out, we come out from the back entrance of Casa de Amigos. To the left is the part that was the proper part that was said to be the lane closure initially. But when you go out from my spot to the right, 
That's how the kids get to Denali School. That's how you can get to the creek. That's how you can get to, to um, Seven Seas Park. We have to go over for three lanes of traffic now, it was four, the traffic tends to go 50 miles an hour. Okay, without the lane closure, I did it with my kids, I will tell you. And my daughter almost didn't break when she was on her bike going, which would have thrown her into 50 mile an hour traffic. When you get across, there is this little teeny sidewalk. And on that sidewalk, if you don't have a lane closure, you have that much space, like a tiny amount of space. Your kid falls over, they're going into 50 mile an hour traffic. You might as well almost be on the freeway. It is so scary. So we're trapped without that. So what I'm going to ask is that actually you get rid of the 720 rule because if some triggering event makes that happen, I and all the moms and all the people there, not just in Casa de Amigos, but kids from the other areas that are also to the east of Fair Oaks, they use that as a connector to get to the supermarket, to the, to, the, to the restaurants that are at Lawrence and um, Tasman. This is a connecting place and we need this. I venture to say the numbers, I believe there may be an inaccuracy with how it is actually being counted in that the sensors that I've noticed have been to the left, closer to Vienna. There is a large group of people that are coming out the back entrance of Casa de Amigos and going to the right using the lane closure to safely get to the channel, which will ultimately which will allow high school students, Fremont high school students, hopefully someday to bike down that way, kids to get to Denali, all of that. That, I did not see that being where the tracker was. The tracker was in the other end, um, including, so I'm just asking on behalf of all of us to please consider keeping this, keeping this as it goes on as long as possible. Also, we do not, by having the lane closure, you are not spending the money to have the street repaved. That is a savings in the budget because you'd have to take the lane closure out and redo it and it's on schedule to be repaved. Whatever that cost, I'm willing to bet your $38,000 could be found there. So I want to thank you all um, for giving me the time to speak and I behove to be, please, please keep this on behalf of the moms and the kids so we can have a safe place to be. Thank you. Thank you. That was my last speaker card on this item. Do we have one more? Yes, Charlene? Yeah. Can I speak? Yes. Maybe. Charlene? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm representing Bike Sunnyvale. Our stance on the Tasman Drive issue is that the temporary lane closure should be extended until at least the end of the study issue. But let me start with a personal anecdote. I biked on Tasman in December to visit a friend in Casa de Amigos, which is the largest mobile home park in Sunnyvale. It was my one and only time biking on Tasman. I biked along the temporary lane closure to get there, which felt safe enough. But when I was leaving, I had to bike on the other side, which is on the north side, and there was no temporary lane closure, and cars were zipping by at 45 miles per hour. I had to bike along with the cars taking over one of the lanes. I felt like I was gonna be rear-ended at any moment. There was no shoulder and no place for me to hide. It is 10 times worse than biking on Hollenbeck. Even though I try to travel by bike as a matter of principle, I would not choose to bike on Tasman again in the uh, condition it is today. So uh, I have showing, showing this one slide where there's no shoulder um, to bike on. And, and imagine trying to bike on the right-hand car lane there with cars going 45 miles per hour. I was constantly looking back 
to see if someone was going to rear end me. 10,000 people live on Tasman. When they enter or leave their homes, they have to take Tasman to get anywhere. Without walking or biking facilities, residents are forced to go in their cars. Their freedom is limited. They are imprisoned in their cars. They can't walk to nearby stores. The children can't bike to friends' houses nearby. People can't take their dogs for a walk outside of their immediate mobile home park. The temporary land closure provides the ability for residents in that neighborhood to go places on foot and by bike. People use it even though the lane closure is inconveniently only on one side of the street and one segment of Tasman today. It's a small step toward changing our car culture in Sunnyvale, but it's an important step to take. Without taking any steps, we'll never get there, so we have to start taking this small step. Taking away the temporary lane closure now is a step in the wrong direction. Then you're interrupting the progress you've made so far, and you're back at step square one. And so it's absolutely the wrong thing to do. Furthermore, if at the end of the study issue, the council decides to install permanent bike and walk facilities, which is the, absolutely the right thing to do in Bike Sunnyvale's opinion, the city should do it in such a way as to minimize the disruption to walkers and bikers. That means extending the temporary lane closure until the beginning of the construction to install permanent bike and walk facilities. Thanks. Thank you. That was my last speaker card for anyone in person. City Clerk, do we have anyone remote who wishes to speak? Yes, Mr. Mayor. First up, we have Leah Melman, followed by Michael Fagan. Leah, you've been unmuted, and you have three minutes to address City Council. Yes, thank you. And um, hello again, Mayor and Council members. Um, and thank you, Mr. Ng, for your presentation. Um, it helped to understand a lot of what the decision making is behind the city process. I am speaking on my own behalf, again, not as chairperson of the Sunnyvale Bicycle Pedestrian Advisory Commission. I am a resident in Casa de Amigos, where I've been for 14 years. So the first question I would like to ask is somewhat rhetorical, but what is the cost of a human life? Is it worth $38,000 or actually slightly less than $38,000 thanks to Richard's math? I think it is. Uh, I think the fact that we have had zero pedestrian deaths since the institution of this lane um, should be a clue that the life of one person, whether from critical injury or, or death, is worth more than 750 vehicles per hour any day of the week. Um, second thing is that uh, we need a lane closure on east on westbound Tasman from the um, just before the um, Casa de Amigos west entrance uh, around that blind curve. Why? Because there's nothing there. I mean, there's no sidewalk, no place for anybody to walk. Um, and I actually had a friend who drives her car out says she's afraid when she pulls out of that entrance because the nose of her car is long and she has a hard time pulling out far enough to see the traffic, which is usually speeding down the street and not obeying 40 miles an hour, much less, you know, uh, slowing down for anybody. Um, so I think that not only do we need to prolong the lane closure until we get the study issue um, results back in December of 2024, which is a very long time to wait just for a recommendation, but that we also need to close part of the westbound part of Tasman 
just after the west entrance of Casa de Amigos, so that people going in the other direction who are pedestrians leaving Casa, because they're not walking to the main gate, they're crossing the two lanes of traffic, the VTA light rail tracks, to get to that one protected sidewalk. And then finally, um, I would like to say that the uh, arrow sign is actually taking up a large portion of the lane so that when I'm on my bicycle traveling on that eastbound lane closure, I actually have to move out into the traffic lane to pass that sign, which takes up the entirety of the lane on my bicycle, because I'm not bicycling on the sidewalk. I'm bicycling in the street where I'm supposed to be. And in order to get past it so that I can get into the lane. So um, my recommendation in short is let's keep this going until we get the study issue results back and please put in a section for westbound Tasman. Thank you. Thank you. Next up, we have Michael followed by Harpiha Oliver. Michael, you've been unmuted and have three minutes to address city council. Thank you. Uh, this is Michael Fagan. I'm a resident at CASA. Amigos. Um, my children regularly use that lane to go to Seven Seas, Summit Denali, visiting friends' houses. I see people going on Java Drive because Google and NetApp are there now. Um, the other options are very long. My kids took all different routes to try to figure out what was the safest route, and there are extremely long other options cutting through other parks to get there. Um, a few other things that, um, you know, Everyone else covered a lot. I I'll, I'll, won't repeat everything, but you know the Levi Stadium events. Actually, a lot of a lot of people are walking down that that pedestrian path to the other VTA station. Also, so we don't have the backup that we had at Vienna and Tasman with people standing in the street sometimes waiting for the VTA uh, bus, you know, transit anymore after the games and before the games. Some people don't even know that that's a bike lane, actually, because they want something safer that's more protected from the cars. I think with something more permanent, you'll get more traffic there for sure, more pedestrian and, and cyclist traffic. I also think those data numbers are really low, surprisingly low compared to what I've seen. Um, one thing that also affects it weather-wise is when the leaves are all over that lane, you don't get people using it. Um, the fire emergency response is actually coming from the fire station that's off Lawrence, on the Lawrence side. So, you know, the biggest vehicles aren't even going to be running down that side of the road, just to make sure that that, that was said. Um, I think that, uh, you know, we've seen wheelchairs, strollers, bikes. The numbers are low from what I saw for data. Maybe it is a positioning. But I'm really uh, thankful because I think the as subjective as I can offer my views the data supports in an objective way also that the numbers are, are reasonable to keep that lane open. Uh, so I thank you for your consideration. Thank you. Next up, we have Harfija, followed by Perry Malone. Jonathan, you've been unmuted and have three minutes to address City Council. Hi. Uh, hi, I'm Jonathan Blum. I'm not Harfija, so I'm not sure what happened, but uh, I'll go ahead. Um, thank you for allowing me to speak, and also thanks to Mr. Eng for his clear and concise report, as well as his success in reducing the monthly cost substantially. Uh, the temporary closure of one lane to allow bicyclists and pedestrians to use it has made it much more usable, and per the report, 
there have been no adverse effects. Uh, the plan under study uh, goes all the way from Fair Oaks to Lawrence, which I think will lead to more use by providing a longer, safer stretch with much better connections. The monthly cost is quite modest. Mr. Feinsmith showed nicely that traffic counts uh, very likely won't reach 720 for a long time. This can be subject to continued monitoring instead of committing ahead of time to ending the closure. I hope you'll continue the closure beyond June, uh, preferably until the study is completed and a definitive plan put in place. Thank you. Thank you. Next up, we have Harfija Oliver, followed by Perry Ballon. Harfija, you've been unmuted and have three minutes to address City Council. Harfisha, you should see a pop-up on your screen asking you to unmute. Thank you for the opportunity to speak. My name is Harfia Oliver. I'm also a resident of Casa de Amigos, and I want to echo uh, the same concern as my neighbors. We uh, would um, support you keeping this lane closure. Um, until this study is complete with the DPW 21-03. Um, it would be interesting since you love data so much to conduct a email survey. As residents, we have over 900 households. Um, we are, are on Nextdoor and also an email service within our uh, office manager. We would um, be happy to fill out surveys. It would be interesting to see how often our residents and in neighboring uh, mobile home communities use uh, the bike and pedestrian lane uh, within the neighborhood. Uh, I've noticed that a lot of residents felt trapped and we would only walk within our complex. It was not safe at all to walk to the grocery store on the corner of uh, Fair Oaks and Tasman, and now we can. I'm very grateful for this closure and this time. I'm also uh, drive to Los Altos daily for my uh, employment and I drive right at those peak hours of um, traffic times and I've never had a problem with congestion or queues whatsoever even pre-pandemic and currently um, so that's encouraging to me um, my son is um, goes to middle school and he uses the bike lane every single day on the weekday. Um, it's really encouraged him to uh, support um, walkable, bikeable Sunnyvale. Um, and it has improved his mental health tremendously. Now he loves to bicycle. He loves to be outdoors more. I also think it prepares him for the school day, which is really important for parents and families. Um, it's also sending the right message with reducing carbon footprint and um, overall support. Um, thank you for your time and I appreciate it. Thank you. Next we have Perry. Perry, you've been unmuted and have three minutes to address City Council. Perry, you should see a, wind, a window pop-up asking you to, and there you go. Hi, okay. Hi, I'm Perry Ballin. Thank you to Mr. Mayor and City Council. I am a resident of Plaza del Rey. 
Um, I live by the, the backside of the park that enters at Tasman Court, right where the temporary lane closure is. Um, and I, I don't use it as often as I have in the past, but I do. That is part of my route, my exercise walking route. I use the lane. Um, my husband uses the lane. I've seen neighbors use the lane. Every time I'm driving to or from work, I'd say 95% of the time, I see at least two or three people in the lane. It is well used. I strongly encourage you to continue the lane closure through the end of the study, uh, December of 2024. Um, and even as recently as six o'clock this morning, I said, well, you know, my husband would never see anybody. But at six o'clock this morning, my husband saw somebody jogging using that lane, safely able to jog. So it is a used amenity to the, our community. And I really appreciate having it. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Mr. Mayor, that was the last remote speaker indicating a request to speak. Okay, thank you. I'll close the public hearing and bring it back to council uh, for questions or a motion. Uh, Councilmember Mellinger. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. Um, I do have a couple questions. I am also ready with a motion. Go right ahead. Um, first question, uh, uh, member of the public brought up, a couple members of the public brought up the blind curve on westbound Tasman. Would there be any, and this is a question for Mr. Taylor, would there be any possibility of some sort of quick build improvement to try to mitigate those concerns or, you know, a convex mirror or anything that might be able to help with that? I'm thinking something very inexpensive. <laughs> uh, we'll have to take a look and see if there's an issue there, if there is anything that we can do. Um, we typically don't use mirrors in the right-of-way. I mean, I know people have wanted those in the past. We don't use that kind of thing. Understood. But th if there's some sort of science that makes sense, but I'll just have to look at it. I don't know it right now um, or whether we can or can't do something there. All right, excellent. And since you're here, uh, could the position of that arrow sign, the blinking arrow sign, be adjusted so that it is not blocking the route for cyclists? So yeah, we can certainly look at adjusting it, you know, as much as we can within that area. But yeah, I think there's a possibility of doing that. Uh, or even if a, po a smaller sign might be possible, uh, or if that... I don't know if they have one that's smaller, mm -hmm. you know, that would work for that, but we, we'll look and see if we can make it better than it is today, if there's a concern. Understood. All right. And... Uh, I'm ready with my motion, but I'll let my colleagues go with their comments and questions first. Thank you. Uh, next is Vice Mayor Dean. Hey, Mayor. I actually was also raising my hand to make a motion, so I guess I'll just be seconding. Okay. And when it comes. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Cisneros. Yeah, thank you. And thank you to members of the public for speaking. It, it really um, got my mind going. And I have a couple more questions. Um, so this is a question about the trigger event when we hit 720 cars specifically. I have a question about how that works. So is that number itself enough to decide let's open it back up to cars or does the, and, or like does there need to be a pattern? So if there's a spike and it hits 720, does that trigger it or 
does it have to be consistent or near that? Yeah, I'll jump in here real quick. I think that, you know, we're going to see that pattern going up if we see it, right? And so we're going to know it's trending toward that, and then we'll make the decision when we get up there. I don't, I'm not going to wait for one day. We get one data point, it was that spike, and then we do it. We would see the trend line going up, and we would know that it's going to stay up there or it's going to cross that, and then we would make that decision at that point. So we would make sure we have clear data that shows it's going to stay up there, not that it's a blip. Awesome. And, and that... Um and that pattern would have to, would that also have to match with, oh, we're seeing a lot of congestion and a lot of signaling delays. Would both of those have to happen? The way we have it set up now is it's just a trigger point for the, for the traffic, for the actual amount of vehicles. Typically with that, we're going to start to see that congestion. So I'm sure it will follow with it, but it's set up to just be the, the trigger point. Okay, and so, but that trigger point would then be like, okay, let's check out the traffic. Yeah, then we would be, and we would already know that it's getting closer, right? We're going to have data that's showing it's getting there, so it won't, hopefully it won't be a surprise. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense, and that helps me understand that process. Um, and, and to ease that congestion, if it does get bad and we get toward that number, would it be possible, and this is kind of outside the box thinking um, a little bit, but is, are there signaling changes we could do along Tasman that would ease it? I, I think that we've implemented as much as okay. we can. I think we've squeezed out as much as we can with the signals. So I don't know that there's a lot of wiggle room there. Okay. And we've got light rail there, too, so it affects the signal. So it's just it's tricky. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Uh, thanks. <laughs> it's just like that. Oh, but what if? Um, that would be great. Um, so a few people in public comment mentions that cars go very fast down Tasman compared to a freeway or saying they've felt in danger in this situation. Um, it, do we have a problem with speeding on Tasman? I don't know. If, Dennis, do you have any data on the speeding? I don't know if we have it right in front of us. <laughs> we do typically do like radar studies, so we're studying all of the um, information about how fast people are going. Like any, any uh, roadway, typically you'll see spikes of people in certain areas, but the majority might be lower than that, but there might be people that are driving faster. I just don't, I don't have that data right in front of me right now. Okay, and I guess that would be something to, to think of, uh, think about along the lines of that uh, returning to council in like December to have that information because if we're reaching the areas where it's maybe going to trigger like a traffic calming intervention, either with the one we currently have or one that we may decide to change when we hear that, you know, hear that study issue and then have a, have a, an item on that in a regular meeting. So I'm just thinking, like, I'm he I keep hearing that and would like to know, because that would also Im like impact my thoughts about it. Is this really an unsafe road? Yeah, we might, we'll have the data, of, you know, accidents kind of before and after. The accidents will be a little bit tricky to compare because we have, you know, high, higher volumes of traffic before and lower now. So it's going to be a little bit hard to do some comparison, but we'll try to do that. We'll have some speed data that we can look at um, from the historical. Uh, traffic calming, because of this type of roadway, wouldn't be eligible for tra traditional traffic calming. Um, so we wouldn't really be able to do that as easily. We'd probably lean more on enforcement and that sort of thing. Okay, that, that's really helpful. It makes a lot of sense. Um, and, okay, uh, yeah, my, my comments are, I believe that all residents in the city of Sunnyvale should have uh, the option to bike or walk no matter where they live as much as humanly possible. And so to the extent that we can have interventions to go ahead and mitigate any serious safety issues or unacceptable congestion, I think we should do it. And I see staff right now working really hard to figure out those solutions. I've already thought about signaling. Traffic calming is not, uh, not able to, to be there, but we have to consider the safety of pedestrians and cyclists at the same time as we consider uh, the safety of um, response times, et cetera. So those two things, it's, 
you know, I see them all as equally important. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited about uh, coming back and hearing this, and um, I will wait for the motion to weigh, weigh in on how I'm going to vote on it, and you'll see then. All right, thank you. Thank you. Next up is Councilmember Srinivasan. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, actually, after hearing uh, members of public comments, safety of children uh, comes to my mind, and then uh, uh, Council Member Cisneros uh, also <coughs> uh, uh, alluded to this. Uh, I was wondering, similar to what uh, she mentioned, is there a calming, a traffic calming, at least during the start of the school hours or something to that effect? That way, at least uh, the safety is uh, of children are uh, kept in mind. That is. Uh, so, there's a question about traffic calming. Whether there's the ability to do any traffic calming in the area. Traffic calming during at least some portion of the hours, if uh, portions of the day, if that are, that is possible or not. I know you mentioned that you have squeezed as much as possible regarding the uh, traffic uh, signaling and other things. Yeah, there's not really a lot of easy tools in our tool chest for roadways like this to do any sort of traffic calming, especially during only certain times of the day. So it would be tricky to do that. Again, I hate to look at DPS, but typically that's kind of how we deal with that is kind of doing some spot enforcement out there uh, to deal with those things. And we just usually work with them related to that. Um, okay. So I think that's really your best tool okay also I was one of the members of the public uh, they mentioned about the data collection issue that is the sensors were on the wrong side uh, any comments on that? Yeah, I, th I think we were able to capture everything, but as we get more data, we'll certainly look at the sensors to make sure we're not missing some group of people because that's definitely not our intention, but I don't think we are so far. Yeah, especially if the Children are using this to go to their friend's place or school. I think uh, more than 20 bicyclists or uh, 30 per day seems to be off. That's what I would think. So, Anyway, thank you very much. Those are my questions. Thank you. Thanks for excellent presentation and data collection. Thank you. And next up is Councilmember Sell. Okay, thank you um, for the public speaking. All good information. So I think the public was mentioning that they thought the camera was turned in a certain direction and then that didn't catch the people that were going in the other direction. So if you could uh, maybe look at that to see if the direction of the camera doesn't capture the people going in the other direction, that would be great. And then um, in the future it would be good if you captured and graphed the number of bikers and the number of pedestrians because in our you know back of the hat kind of calculations um, per month there could be the combination of bikers and pedestrians 1200 more cars on the road if we didn't have this closure and uh, we talk about you know public's uh, you know emergency vehicles trying to get for that well if there's a lot more traffic on that road then that's going to slow down the traffic time. Um, so I think uh, data is important, as um, the council members' colleagues have been mentioning. And I was just wondering, so um, with the closure, one direction of Tasman seems very safe with pedestrians and bikes. 
Um, but the other side of Tasman, as one um, commenter mentioned, is uh, a lot less safe because there's no bike lane there and the cars are traveling very fast. So um, <clears throat> I was just wondering if staff had any thoughts on the other direction. Like, I, I'm just picturing like people have to bike in one direction and then they have to come back. So how do you come back if it, the other side of the roads um, doesn't have a bike lane? I don't know how that works. Yeah, I mean, in the study issue as we go forward, we'll be looking at that, right, to, okay. you know, to try to address that. For now, we were just looking at this area to be kind of for both directions, right, to kind of fill in that gap for the uh -huh. time being. So we weren't looking at doing the other direction at this time, but it will be studied in the uh, okay. study issue. So does that mean that people bike two-way on the that, close that's the intent oh okay because i thought that would be the perfect solution yeah if people could bike both ways and then maybe we got make sure we got it to intersection so that they could cross and get there oh, okay so that might be in part of your study looking at that viability and on the other side yeah so we'd have okay. bi-directional yeah okay and then um the other thing say we like got to the peak of the 720 um the 720 peak wouldn't always be there so would you conceivably like maybe at a certain time of the day when you it's the seven you know then there would be the closure of, i mean the opening of the lane but uh, normally there would be times when it's not as busy so you would go back to the lane being closed like is that, that would be everything? very tricky to okay. be able to do something like okay. that and try to make that work so i i wouldn't recommend it at this time okay. um and yeah i just can't think of an easy way to do something like that okay because i know like on homestead they have it during school hours it's um a, a permanent bike lane during school hours and then in the evenings and on the weekends then it kind of like uh, becomes parking uh, yeah, on Homestead, yeah, there's kind of the, the part-time bike lanes that are yeah, on there right so now. Yeah, so could you conceive, if it got to the 720 at a certain time, could you perceive like a part-time closure kind of thing? When it's parking in like a bike lane, it's not as big of an issue because you're using the same area and you yeah. don't have any sort of barrier between. Yeah. But in this case, you would want a barrier between. Okay. Instead of being so able to have out, that barrier is a challenge. Okay. Okay. Well, that's all my question. Thank you. Um, and I just want to make a comment that... Sometimes, on a lot of times, we want to encourage people to walk and bike, and we want residents to, like, support that. And sometimes, like, there's a lot of pushback from that. But in this case, with Tasman, it seems like I've heard a lot of the community members, and they're really supportive of biking and walking and how it's healthier and safer for kids and residents and people don't feel locked in, you know, having to drive a car and only being able to walk in their small community. So I think what staff has done, making this economical, uh, getting this study going, has been a success. And... Uh, I guess I would want to continue this success. So I would want to see this go beyond the June date and um, have the lane closure until until um, the study is done. So that's my comments. Thank you, Councilmember Sell. And I'll bring it back to Councilmember Mellinger. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. I would like to move alternative two, extend the duration of the temporary eastbound Tasman Avenue lane closure until December 2024 and direct staff to include uh, $23,400 
uh, of that duration in the fiscal year 2023-2024 recommended budget while still subject to the previously identified traffic volume congestion and safety triggers. Thank you. Vice Mayor Dean. I second. To your motion. All right. So this is an issue that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, I lived at Fair Oaks and Tasman until 2018 at the VIA apartment complex. I distinctly remember walking down Tasman with friends to get to Rabbit's Foot Meadery, which I miss very dearly, and us picking our way through the dirt shoulder uh, when the sidewalk ran out. Uh, so I really want to take uh, to compliment staff on taking the initiative here, on all the hard work they've done, and I also want to give special compliments to whichever of our staff members spent their hours counting on the video. Um, on the Murphy Avenue item, I mentioned that we were opening Murphy Avenue, not closing it. And I think that comment applies here as well. What we are doing is we are opening a new route for cyclists and pedestrians that previously did not exist. Without this facility, there are no safe routes on foot or on bicycle heading southwest from the mobile home parks. You know, the San Miguel footbridge is not accessible. There's no southbound route out of Plaza through Lakewood. There's no safe way to get to the grocery store without this. Uh, so the level of service for pedestrians on Tasman prior to this was functionally zero. There was no service for them. Um, loot, our, our land use and transportation element, item 3.6, which is called out in the staff report, specifically states I'm going to read this because this is one of my favorites. The order of considerate, you know, promote modes of travel and actions that provide safe access to city streets and reduce single occupant vehicle trips and trip lengths locally and regionally. And the next bit is really important. The order of consideration of transportation users shall be one, pedestrians, two, non-automotive, e.g. bicycles, three, mass transit vehicles, four, delivery vehicles, five single occupant vehicles. So I think that this lane closure is very squarely in line with our loot, our general plan. Um, you know, I also wanna call out a couple other things. Uh, there's the concept in traffic engineering of induced demand, uh, which is essentially build it and they will come. Uh, and we see this very commonly with freeway, freeway widenings. People widen the freeway and within a couple years, the traffic is worse than when they started because they have induced demand. Uh, there is a converse to this, which is close it and they will leave, which is what we are, appear to be seeing with the vehicle traffic. But also, you know, we're seeing the build it and they will come effect for our cyclists and pedestrians on this road. You know, we've heard from many of our parents from Fremont High School this evening and previously. Uh, if you are a student of Fremont High School and any of the mobile home parks, uh, there is essentially no way for you to walk or bike to school without this route. Um, so there is really, really a lot of, this really opens a lot of possibilities for our residents. Um, I think this is a very important shift and I respectfully urge my colleagues I vote. Thank you. Uh, next up is Councilmember Melton. Yeah, thank you, Mayor. Um, I'll try to keep my comments brief. Um, I, I, this is a good motion. I remember um, when 
council adopted this temporary measure. One of the things that I had on my mind um, is the fact that it is temporary. Um, and I wanted to make sure that city staff had the ability to be nimble in case there were unforeseen issues. And I'm glad that we still have that measure available to us. Um, so that's one of the things that I was looking for. Um, I'm looking forward to the study issue coming back to council. I think this is going to be really interesting, and I know it's in great hands with our professional staff and public works. Um, Mr. and Mrs. Finesmith, it's great to see you here tonight in council chambers. You must be incredibly proud of your son. There was a uh, Zoom meeting I had with um, Ari and Charlene and maybe some others, and Ari and I were debating back and forth. He's sharp as a tack, and I said, Ari, I look forward to the day when you're on the United States Supreme Court arguing something or another. Um, so I'm glad he got the ball rolling with his intellectual property to do it, and I'm glad that we're able to continue it today. And it's nice to see Mr. and Mrs. Finesmith. Thank you. Next up is Vice Mayor Dean. Thank you. Uh, I will be supporting the motion and my appreciation to Councilman Mellinger for bringing it up. Uh, and I'm glad to see that my colleagues so far have been uh, aligned on the desire to keep this lane closure in place until December of 2024. Uh, I think I definitely have to follow suit with what Councilman Melton just said, which is uh, to give respect to uh, the Feinsmiths for, uh, you know, their entire family's dedication uh, and advocacy on this, and especially to Ari. So uh, I know it makes me really proud to see uh, that kind of advocacy coming out of this district. Uh, but I'll be extremely brief because I think we're all on the same page and I've already made uh, my sentiments known. Um, but it's that I think this lane closure has been one of the most important uh, infrastructure improvements that we've seen in the process of this is going to be one of the most important infrastructure improvements in uh, North Sunnyvale. Uh, opening this up to residents, to bikers, to walkers, uh, to pedestrians uh, has made uh, the entire area better. And I'm glad to see those improvements and uh, I'm glad to see them continue. So I hope my colleagues will join me in voting yes for this. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Mayor. Next up is Council Member Sell. I think sometimes. Um when we're in campaign mode, we talk about how we want Sunnyvale to be walkable and bikeable, and we want residents to support this. And this is something that is in reality. What I see, uh, if we did not have this, there'd be probably about 1,200 uh, more cars per day, per, I mean, per month. And so I'm just so impressed that uh, staff would react in this way to address this with the community and that staff was even able to reduce the cost of this per month so that's stretching the funds so um, again second many times over uh, how staff is responding really well to the community addressing our needs and so i will be supporting this motion um, wholeheartedly Thank you. Next up is Councilmember Srinivasan. Uh, thank you, Mayor. I will also be supporting this motion uh, for many reasons. Uh, one is, uh, as we heard from uh, members of the public, safety of our children is very, very important for me. And then also the road to uh, Fremont High School, which is uh, one of the things I am working on. Plus, 
as we all know this is the right way to do uh, for sustainability and environmental considerations and then more importantly i like this motion rather than the alternative one because i don't want the uncertainty of what happens after june 30th this is a clear path uh, for those reasons i will be supporting this motion thank you very much thank you um, and I'll be supporting this motion. You know, it's interesting that uh, tonight we're we're also talking about the closure of Murphy Avenue, and and this has one been one of the positive things that, just like closing closing Murphy Avenue to cars, uh, this has been a positive aspect of coming out of, of of the effects of COVID. I remember, you know, taking this to the city manager when I was delivering masks in in North Sunnyvale, and and ended up. Uh, seeing people walking in the street during during the first part of COVID. And so, you know, I, I do think that this is one of the positive things that the staff has done to be able to do, be nimble here as far as the closure is concerned. Um, I do appreciate that we've heard that there were no detrimental impacts up to this point, uh, you know, and how public safety is, has been maintained as far as, you know, making sure that they're able to get in and out of this area without problems. Uh, I appreciate that staff, much like Councilmember Sell said, it was able to make the, fun the funding that we previously approved go farther. Um, but I appreciate what Councilmember Mellinger um, Council did today as far as extending that time period to the end of the study. You know, the Sunnyvale process is to study um, and making sure that we are doing the right things. Uh, as far as one comment, I do think there's, there's a concept of traffic calming going west, uh, whether or not that's flashing lights, whether or not that's, you know, being cognizant of reminding people what the speed limit is. I understand public safety is, is normally the, the way of dealing with traffic calming in that sort of area. Uh, I hope that staff looks at speeds and, you know, reminders to the public of what the appropriate speed limits are along that corridor. But, but overall, you know, I appreciate that, you know, we are continuing to monitor. I do appreciate that that you know doing appropriate counts and looking at the videos or, or whatever tools staff is utilizing to make sure that the counts of of pedestrians and you know pedestrians, cars and bicycles is important along this corridor. I think having that appropriate data when the study issue completes is important. Uh, no idea what that new normal is. Uh, whether or not that's three days a week or, you know, uh, as I continue to talk to tech companies, some of them, as they reduce their staffs, are requiring more. And so we'll see what where we are a year from now. Uh, that new normal seems to continue to change as far as, as, far as life in post-pandemic post or whatever this time frame is. But, but I appreciate the, the motion as it currently stands. I think funding to the end of that study. And then we make a decision what happens. Uh, at the end of 2024 uh, is the right thing to do, and so I wholeheartedly support this motion. And with that, City Clerk, can you please conduct a roll call vote? Yes, Mr. Mayor. First up, Councilmember Melton, how do you vote? Yes. Councilmember Cisneros? Yes. Mayor Klein? Yes. Councilmember Mellinger? Yes. Vice Mayor Dean? Yes. Councilmember Srinivasan? Yes. Councilmember Sell? Yes. The motion carries 7-0.
Thank you. And we'll move on to our next item. Our next item is item 23-0259. Introduce an ordinance to amend chapter 19.36 of title 19 of the Sunnyvale Municipal Code to modify table 19.36.060B, permitted, conditionally permitted, and prohibited uses in the El Camino specific plan, zoning districts to conditionally permit auto sales or rental in the ECR-MU uh, zoning districts and find that this action is within the scope of the program EIR for El Camino, uh, Re the El Camino Real specific plan pursuant to CEQA guidelines sections 15168. Uh, I have an announcement to make. So uh, due to a conflict of interest of owning real property, my primary residence near the El Camino Real specific plan area, I will need to recuse myself from this public hearing. So Council Member Melton will be taking over as chair to run the public hearing item. And at its conclusion, I'll be returning as chair to run the remainder of the council meeting. So thank you. And I will now be exiting the council meeting. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Mayor Klein. We'll see you on the other side. I'll just give an opportunity if there are any other announcements of recusal from council or staff. Um, Deputy City Manager Connie Versellas, I also have a conflict as I own property near um, El Camino Real, so I also have to excuse myself. Okay, we'll see you on the other side, Connie. Thank you. All right, staff, do we have a staff report? Yes, I think I will be briefer than all of the preliminary comments that we just heard. Um, the action before you tonight is to introduce an ordinance to correct a staff oversight in the zoning regulations for El Camino Real, which were approved by the City Council in June of 2022. The change will allow the consideration through a special development permit of auto sales and rentals in the mixed-use, commercial residential mixed-use uh, districts in the El Camino Real specific plan. Uh, we anticipate that it's quite likely we'll be returning to the council with other modernization of the zoning code to address other kinds of auto-related activities, such as automobile showrooms. But we're not doing that tonight. Um, but I just wanted to, to let you know that we've started to think about um, how, how automobiles may need to be addressed in the zoning code. The staff recommendation is to introduce, the, introduce an ordinance um, to amend the municipal code um, to modify table 19.36.060B, which relates to the um, permitted and um, conditionally permitted and prohibited uses. So essentially we're changing the not permitted to um, can be considered through a special development permit. So it doesn't automatically approve it in the zoning district. We would have to look at whether or not it's compatible with the design. Um, the motion also includes the council determination that the um, action is within the scope of the EIR that's already been certified for the El Camino Real specific plan. And that concludes my report. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you, staff. Um, Let's check in with the city council members to see if we have any questions or comments to staff. As a reminder to my colleagues to please use the raise hand button to indicate you wish to speak. We'll give it a second to see if we have any council members with any questions. And we're going to go first to council member Cisneros. Yeah, thank you very much. And thank you for the presentation. It, you didn't lie. It was brief. Um, what happened to inspire suggesting making this change? What changed? Thank you. 
Actually, we have had an application um, since before we brought the, the plan and the ordinance to the council. And we were doing a review of the application to determine if it was ready to schedule for public hearing. And the uh, project planner noticed that we had put not permitted in the, in the land use table. So we do have a pending application that would um, like to um, include automobile sales uh, with residential uses. So we, we can see that um, it could possibly work. Okay, and so biking this change and saying this would also be an allowable use. And so- It's a conditionally it, allowable use. I just wanna make sure that's allowed. Okay, that is the key part that I was just missing right there. Cause my, I, my, my thought was, if we make this change, if that application, if that person's I you know what, I don't wanna do it. Would by making this change open it up to somebody could say, oh, I want an auto dealership here, and then we would lose the housing opportunity. But what I'm hearing is that's not the case. I don't think you want to lose either, quite frankly. But, um, you know, this particular application, you wouldn't be able to um, allow the auto use with the ordinance the way it's currently written. But if you, um, if the council modifies the ordinance, then um, auto dealerships can still be allowed in the commercial zones, um, they're still conditional, um, you can now also consider them in the mixed use zones. Okay, and is that all, all mixed use zones, I think? All mixed use okay. zones. Okay, okay, that's what but I... That doesn't mean you're gonna get an application in every mixed use project. Yeah, yeah, so the reason why I asked the first one is it wasn't like an either or, is that this isn't saying we're giving up mixed use housing, we're not picking between misuse, mixed use housing and car dealerships or car sales, I should say. Right, this. if you, if there's an existing car dealership and they wanna continue to operate, they would be allowed to do that or even redevelop because the commercial uses are also very important on El Camino. Absolutely. Um, but if a developer uh, wanted to do a mixed use project and the commercial component um, of the site, of the mixed use, because they have to be mixed use in the mixed use zoning district, um, they, they would now be able to propose auto sales. Okay, so you would have, so somebody can't just build a, just a car sales retail site, they would have to build housing with it. it, it Theoretically, conditionally. Yeah, there's a little more nuance, but um, I, I don't think there's a huge risk of getting auto dealers all up and down El Camino Real. I think the risk is that we would lose auto dealerships and this would be a way to preserve um, that as, as an important commercial use. Okay, all right, that's all with my questions, thank you. Great, thank you very much. Council Member Sal. I had a question, so um, I guess what you're saying is that the mixed use makes the auto sales and both like a win-win situation so that the mix, the housing financially is supportive of the and car sales are supportive of each other so it's a win-win is that what you're trying to say well a little, a little bit different than that okay um, both housing and auto sales are important land uses they don't necessarily have to go together on El Camino Real they, a, a site could have different commercial uses to 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 qualify as a mixed-use site mm-hmm so, and, but we're saying that um, auto dealer could be compatible as the 
um, as the commercial component of the site. Okay. So I guess originally how this um, plan came out is that someone was building, um, it was a, they were planning to have a mixed-use property, and then they thought, oh, for the retail, why don't we just have car sales? And then um, that seemed like... Actually, use, the application yeah. had been around around the time we started the, the um, update to the plan, and um, it was just an oversight on our part. If we, if we had paid better attention, we would have put SDP in it last June. So it's, this is essentially um, correcting an error. Okay, because you have like other kind of retail and the other kind of retail is fine. Like that too, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, and then um, because auto sales are also in commercial areas, that would um, mean that auto sales would still always be there because it's an important part of um, the economy uh, that provides um, funds for this. They would always be allowed there, <laughs> be allowed to be considered there. I, I can't guarantee that they'll be there forever. Okay. But um, not everything would turn into housing because you have these mixed-use areas and you have these commercial areas, and the commercial areas uh, protect commercial um, being there, and then the mixed-use has a mixed use, and then now all you're saying is one of the mixed uses retail could be auto sales. That's correct. Yeah, okay. So it's pretty, you don't foresee any um, bad effects from this. I guess that's what you're recommending it. <laughs> correct. Yeah, yeah I, so I think we're, we're essentially trying to correct an error. Okay, Man, thank you. Thank you. Next up is Council Member Srinivasan. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you uh, for the short presentation. For my understanding, uh, this particular uh, area was already a, a auto dealership, right? Or auto sales thing? Well, the application that is pending is a site that currently has an auto um, sale facility on it. Okay. But it could apply to other sites. It wouldn't be unique to that one property. Okay, got it. So you are making it a generic... Uh, uh, st uh, if any of the mixed-use zoning um, sites on... Any site on El Camino, except for the ones that are zoned solely for residential, we could con now consider auto dealerships if the council approves this ordinance correction. Thank you. And then uh, I had uh, another question. You during your uh, brief presentation, you mentioned that y y uh, in future you might add uh, auto showroom or something like that, auto sales, something. Uh, yeah, I just didn't want you to be surprised later that we might come back, um, and that might look at only the downtown, or it might look at citywide. Um, but the, some other questions have come up in other areas, which made us start thinking that the nature of auto sales has changed and um, it might be time to modernize our code. Okay, got it. Thank you very much. Those are my questions. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Next up, we're gonna open the public hearing. I will go ahead and open the public hearing on this specific item. Members of the public wishing to address council, please submit a speaker card to the city clerk. 
Use the raise hand button now or dial star 9 on a telephone to indicate you wish to speak. I will call on members of the public participating in person first. Then the city clerk will ask remote participants to unmute their microphone when it is their turn to address the city council. Speakers will have three minutes to speak. For members in person, we have a timer with lights. Green means go, yellow means 30 seconds remain, and red means stop. I don't see any members of the public here in council chambers wishing to speak. I don't have any speaker cards, so we're going to look for remote participants. City Clerk, do we have um, any remote participants wishing to speak on this item? No, Council Member Melton. Okay, thank you. Let's go ahead and close the public hearing. Time to bring it back to the dais, and I will now ask for discussion or a motion from my colleagues. Council Member Cisneros. Yeah, thank you. Um, this wasn't influenced by public comment because there wasn't any, um, but I did have one more question. Um, do auto dealerships by this definition putting into the zoning code for the plan include service stations or just sales? The definition of a auto um, sales and renter, rentals would allow them to, um, would, um, could include the, the auto repair and parts, um, those kinds of services that you would um, typically find at an auto dealership. Um, but we would have to evaluate that as part of the planning application um, to see whether or not it's been designed in a way that it um, is, is compatible with the residential use. Yeah, thank you. That, that makes perfect sense because I was thinking, this is opening up a whole swath of land to that. And depending on what it's next to or what the potential uses next to it are would depend on the environmental safety and, and considerations there. So you're saying that's, that's all there, but it could te technically or theoretically go ahead and support Right. You might have something with um, light repair. You might have something with um, uh, facilities that are segregated in a way that it's not an impact on the, on the residents. Okay, cool. Just wanted to clarify. Thank you. And I'm also ready for a motion when council's ready. Please go ahead, council member Cisneros. Oh, uh, I see a couple other hands up. I That's okay. Please go ahead. Sure, sure. So, pardon me, I need to get to the right thing. So, I move alternative one, introduce an ordinance, attachment to the, to the report, to amend chapter 19.36 to the title 19 of the Sunnyvale Municipal Code to modify table 19-36-02 or 060B, permitted conditionally, permitted and prohibited uses in all Camino Real specific plan districts to conditionally permit auto sales or rental ECR MU zoning districts and find that this action is within the scope of the program ER dot 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 dot. Very good. Thank you, Council Member Cisneros. Looking for a second. Council Member Dean? I second. Okay. Thank you, Vice Mayor Dean. So, Council Member Cisneros, to your motion, please. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think the questions that I asked uh, of staff here were really the um, the linchpin for me in thinking about how I would support this because it, we want to be able to have a robust commercial center in Sunnyvale. And as we know, car dealerships make out an outsized portion of the sales tax we receive in the city, making it very important at this point in time. And giving additional opportunities to think about zoning and how we build things in a unique way. Uh, gives us more flexibility to either grow that base or even think about ways like you think there are people who think, who say housing everywhere, right? How can we stretch ourselves to think? How can we work to correct our housing crisis while also 
keeping our robust commercial centers going, especially on the El Camino Real specific plan. And I was heartened to hear that this is conditional. We're going to look at this and make sure it works with the uses around it and the potential uses there to make sure that this is done in an environmentally and safety uh, focused way. But this gives us flexibility in a way that I don't think I've ever seen any other city do. And the El Camino Real corridor there is going to change as this plan gets implemented. And as I imagine it, I foresee this being a benefit to the overall plan and as staff mentioned, a correction to an oversight when it was when this plan was originally being developed and adopted. And so I support uh, going forward with this and I respect the, the planning commission for weighing in and I know they're very thoughtful and this is uh, this is an exciting change. I don't think I've seen it anywhere else. So um, I hope my colleagues support this motion. I think this is a pretty minor change that will give us more flexibility and that's uh, usually very good for uh, any city government. So thank you very much. Excellent. Thank you. Councilmember Mellinger. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chair. Um, I will be supporting this motion. Uh, you know, uh, everything my colleague Councilmember Cisneros said, you know, I'm satisfied that we'll be able to ensure that any use is environmentally compatible with housing. And, you know, we certainly need more housing in the city of Sunnyvale, and we s can always use more sales tax revenue. And auto dealerships are an excellent source of sales tax revenue for our city. So these are two great tastes that taste great together. I love it. Uh, and I just want to call out, this may be the smallest change to come to a full council hearing in some time. I see a, this is a three-character change to our code, but it's going to have a very substantial impact, so I will be enthusiastically supporting this motion. Very good. Thank you. Council Member Sell. Um, I wanted to appreciate that um, staff brought this to us because uh, and you're responsive to the situation and flexible and so I appreciate that staff was able to think outside of the box and come to this um, conclusion that this minor change could have a very positive impact for uh, the retail sales of car sales and our option for them and also mixed use. So I wanted to appreciate what the staff has done and I will be supporting this motion. Very good. Thank you. Council Member Srinivasan. Thank you. I will be supporting this motion uh, as a council member. My colleagues have mentioned it not only brings the crucial sales revenue but also uh, handles the housing crisis or housing issue. So for those reasons, I will support this. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. I'll be supporting the motion. I, I look at this um, from a tactical standpoint. A lot of moving pieces going on here in the city of Sunnyvale, including the community development department. So I just appreciate that um, what was an oversight in a very complex um, piece of legislation that we passed comes back with a technical fix and we get it across the finish line. Um, so let's go ahead and vote. City Clerk, please read the ordinance title and conduct a roll call vote. An ordinance of the City Council of the City of Sunnyvale amending Table 19.36.060B of Chapter 19.36, El Camino Real Specific Plan District of Title 19 Zoning of the Sunnyvale Municipal Code related to auto sales or rental in ECR-MU zoning districts.
and now for the vote. Council Member Sal? Yes. Council Member Cisneros? Yes. Council Member Mellinger? Yes. Council Member Melton? Yes. Council Member Srinivasan? Yes. Vice Mayor Dean? Yes. The motion carries 6001 with Mayor Klein recused. Thank you, Councilmember, for running that last item. We will now move on to non-agenda items and comments. Council, are there any non-agenda items or comments? Uh, Councilmember Srinivasan. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, I just wanted to uh, bring to the attention of the Council and the public, uh, I had an opportunity to go to the new mayors and council members academy organized by League of uh, California Cities. Uh, this was on February 1st, 2nd and 3rd. Uh, there were really good sessions. And then more importantly, we met, uh, I met, uh, the council member Selvas also there. Uh, we met uh, a lot of uh, other council members from other cities of uh, the state. Uh, some of the sessions were uh, re regarding planning, finance, and uh, harassment and other things. Very, very useful. If anybody is interested, I have some notes. I can share it. Thank you very much. Thank you. And next up is Councilmember Sell. Yes, I also attended the League of California Cities New Council Member Academy. Um, I really appreciate that the city uh, sending, uh, enabling me to attend. I was able to um, learn about uh, being a better council member, uh, learn about ethics, um, being and being well informed and ethical are essential to us serving on the city council and and having the city be more efficient, more effective, and building trust in our community. And um, I like the priorities that the organization has, which are priorities that I had when I was running, which is to um, uh, uh, look at um, safety, public safety, and um, sustainability uh, in terms of financial sustainability. And also they talked about issues that we've been seeing here on the diocese um, over many years, which is housing increased supply and housing affordability, and also um, preventing and reducing homelessness. So uh, I, I thought it was a very packed few days that we were there, and all the presentations are online for um, reference for uh, any of the other new council members and for me to refer back to. So thank you for uh, sending me to that academy. Thank you, Councilmember Purcell. And uh, since we're kind of giving summaries, uh, one of the things I wasn't able to do since we've had several meetings that ended after that we actually didn't get to non-agenda items, um, it was uh, I wanted to kind of give a quick update on the U.S. Conference of Mayors that I went to three weeks ago now. 
And that was in D.C. And other than bringing back a lot of good information as far as uh, what new programs, what especially what new funding opportunities are. Of course, I brought back COVID for myself, but um, it was a really good event. You know, we actually had access to the majority of President Biden's cabinet secretaries. So it was interesting from that standpoint, uh, hearing from the Attorney General, hearing about you know what they're doing from a federal standpoint. I got you know definitely while I was there, I, I had a chance to meet with Senator Padilla's staff and. Um, Congressman Khanna, of course, to to talk about you know their upcoming priorities and kind of giving a, giving them a little flavor of our priorities and hearing about some of the potential grant opportunities that are coming up as far as this year is concerned. So, so overall, uh, a great a great conference, and you know here in immediately found that there was a um, energy co block community block grant, much like our CDBG money, that was formula based based upon population that we hadn't heard about yet and that was actually one of the one of the positive things of bringing that back uh, and hopefully um, we'll be applying for that soon and finding out um, you know all with that deadline rapidly coming up on April so good from that standpoint lots of lots of great information and and happy to be there with with you know other mayors from around the country and hearing best practices that they're doing so uh, a lot of a lot of good things as far as that's concerned. Um, city manager, did you have any comments? Uh, nothing tonight, Mayor. But I would mention that you the normally reports from IGR committees was uh, or you took it out of order. Normally that comes before non-agenda items. Oh, sorry. Well, IGR committee. Okay, good enough. Yes. Um, Thank you. That's what I got. Sorry. Uh, council member reports from activities from intergovernmental committee assignments. That's what I get when I go too quickly. Uh, Vice Mayor Dean. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, and I know we're close to that uh, late night mark, so I'll be very brief. Uh, but also, based on your previous comment, I can assure you you can still catch COVID without having gone uh, to any of the conferences. But uh, this also is going to feel a little bit late, but given that we weren't able to meet this at our last meeting, I wanted to give the update now uh, that at VTA's first meeting, uh, the new board chair and vice chair were chosen, the chair being Pat Burt and the new vice chair being Cindy Chavez. Uh, since then, we've done a lot of, we've had a lot of different updates on the status of projects at VTA. I think the most exciting one obviously being BART Phase 2 expansion. And uh, because it's late, I won't go into more depth on it, but all, any of my colleagues are more than welcome to talk with me about it. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, anything else? We'll move to adjournment. This meeting is adjourned at 1121. Thanks for everyone who participated in person and remote. Uh, and have a good evening. Good night. Bye.